heck? Yeah. <laughs> I got, that's weird. I, this whole thing has gone crazy. I don't know what even to think. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, the whole Skype thing is... Uh, technology in general well, just, is just you know, kind just of crazy. Uh, you know, her popularity oh, oh, has, you... has gotten big and where people are creating fake profiles. Oh, okay, yeah. That's... Okay, I understand that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're saying Skype? Yeah, dude. Skype is so old. Wait, well, I mean, hey, I don't, I don't maybe really you could know. tell me which which names did you put in there? How did you find this one? Like, what did you try before this? And then I can... Oh, actually, originally I, I just typed in your number and it brought up a, uh, I guess, a fake profile. And it's, I mean, because it my said... My number, like my cell phone number? Yeah, the one I was texting. I typed in your cell oh. phone number in, a, in the Skype. And because, you know, usually, you know, our phone numbers are connected... It had, our, it had a picture, though. It yeah, had, it, had it had a picture, picture, and it said you chatted yeah, moments ago. Yeah, it said ago. you chatted uh, very recently, so, yeah, you may want to find yeah. out who's... So that's very odd. <laughs> that is odd. I mean, I've had a couple of these Skype things over the last month, but, like, it hasn't been what I would call recent, because it's been at least a week or two. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> okay. Interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Oh. Wow. Okay. I don't want somebody pretending they're me and talking to somebody. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's interesting. I wonder if I should change it to Jan Bro. I wonder if I can. If somebody's made up a fake thing, are they going to let me do that? That's so weird. Okay. In, in fact, well, when, anyway. we, when we put it in, there's actually like five profiles of Jan Broberg, and then one of them has your picture on it. And said, yeah, like I said, it said it chatted, chatted moments ago. So we were just like, what in the world? Yeah. Gosh. yeah. But, uh, okay, well, that's really weird, and thank <laughs> you for telling me, and I'll see if I can figure out how to fix that. <laughs> huh. People want to impersonate me now. This is getting scary. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like you haven't dealt with enough, huh? Jesus. Right. Yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> so far, I haven't had any weird, crazy people, like, come into my cul-de-sac or my neighborhood, so that's good. That is good. I keep for uh, just, just, weird like that to happen. Yeah, that's, that's, that's next week's issue. Yeah. Oh, oh that's, what, that's what we'll talk about when I talk to you next week. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, I really appreciate that you want to, you know, have a conversation. Oh, and absolutely. Basically, I, I think, you know, you, you have a circle of people that are listening to you and that, that you influence and my message is just to you know end childhood sex abuse by people that kids know love trust and that's that message is worthwhile on any, any platform, platform any group of people so thank you for having me Absolutely. no thank you for coming thank on thank you so much like it, we we really understand exactly what you mean and this is something that like i personally hope we can help people so Thank you. Appreciate that. I know that you're mostly lighthearted, but once a month you do something <laughs> serious, and yeah, this yeah. is definitely, no, I know that, but, but also I think there's a hopeful stuff. message in here too, so <laughs> hopefully, you know, we can give some hope to people either who have already been through trauma or that we can, you know, let them know that they can, you know, get the help and the healing they need and have productive wonderful lives or we can help somebody you know to notice something that they wouldn't have before educate and raise awareness it's all it those are the positives out of all of this exactly absolutely now uh i'm adam uh, this is the voice of adam and uh next to me is amen hey uh, amen <laughs> amen yes sir. and is uh, it spelled like amen but it's yeah, amen it's, it's something like that it's almost like rastafarian <laughs> 
Well, he's a uh, he's a uh, he's a Twitch streamer, and he's also uh, scared of the government, so he does not use his. <laughs> yeah, I'm really really off the, off the grid. Yeah. <laughs> aim it. Got yes. it. Like, take uh, aim with Amen. Exactly. You're you're the first person that's gotten that. You were the first person that's gotten that. That's amazing. Uh, oh, well, this is opinions and beer. Uh, every episode, we have a, uh, a craft beer that we in, uh, usually include at the beginning or the end of the episode. Um, okay. Cool. Uh, but in between there, it's just all about whatever. Everybody. Yeah, whatever's going on. Anyway. However the conversation takes us, exactly. right? Okay. Exactly. Are you, <laughs> are you a, a, a beer drinker of any sorts at all? I'm really not, you know, I just, I grew up in a family, we didn't have any alcohol in our house, and I don't know, I just never, never I never developed the desire or tried it, and I just have never really been a drinker of any kind. Oh, we definitely want to turn that down. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's better. Yeah, what's funny is, like, we're a beer show, and uh, we have a lot of, um, the majority of our guests so far have uh, are not drinkers. Yeah, I, I would say like right. close to like ninety which percent, is, which yeah. is good. Which is wow. fine. percent doesn't. How funny. We're 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 the only people that are like habitual like alcoholics. I guess I'm not an alcoholic. Okay, okay, okay. Never mind. That's a that's a strong word. Strong word. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I don't know how to get Admitted the sound the of my phone not to come to my computer when I've got the sound turned up. Oh, I guess yeah. I have to turn my phone off or something. Hold on. I'm trying to figure this out. Okay. Um, let's see. Doing a podcast with opinions <laughs> and beer. I'm getting you more followers. So you're getting a bigger audience. <laughs> yeah, we've been a. Uh... Racking up guests. We just we, we had interviewed uh, Michael Jai White recently, and uh, we also interviewed the director of uh, SLC Punk. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Which that that took place. That movie took place. Uh, are, you're from uh, Salt Lake City, right now? Is that correct? Um, no, I'm in St. George, Utah, which is southern Utah. It's about an hour and a half from Las Vegas, so I'm about four hours from Salt Lake okay. to oh, the okay. south. Towards California. <laughs> yeah. I used to live in the Salt Lake area. My first agent and and the first projects that I did for film and television work were out of Salt Lake City. So I did live there for a period of time, but then I, I moved down here to the southern end of Utah when I remarried and helped raise uh, four stepdaughters and my son. And then when my second oldest stepdaughter was killed in a car accident, my marriage ended, and I and I ended up shortly thereafter moving to Los Angeles and uh, renting out my house here in Southern Utah. I ran a I ran a theater here in town, and I've always been involved in the arts, some way or the other. So, yeah. And then I was in LA for ten years working out there as an actress, and then I moved back here couple years ago because my dad and mom had moved to this area and were needing some help and I'm really glad I came back I had a opportunity to run a brand new theater here in a beautiful area and because I had that opportunity and moved back I was able to spend the last two years of my dad's life with him and my mom in my home they actually moved into my home and I moved my renters out and moved them in and and it was a wonderful time to be with 
with him before he passed away. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, I I got a quick question here. Uh, I I remember hearing something like you went to uh, BYU since you were over there. Is that is that correct? Uh huh. That yeah, that's like right. That's one? where I went to school. I I graduated from Brigham Young University. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have a very strict uh, set of guidelines there as well, huh? Well, that's true. They do. They do have a pretty, pretty good. Uh, uh, what do you call that? It was called the uh, some kind of BYU uh, code of ethics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they do. yeah. It's, it's very <laughs> yeah. strict. Uh, I remember they just kicked off like half of their football team because they found a uh, little bit of marijuana in one of their cars. So. Yeah, just, just totally kicked them off the team. Oh, I, uh, my uh, father-in-law is a really, really big fan of the BYU football team, and he's just been absolutely livid the past uh, couple years because they've been doing so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for a new coach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. When I was there, Steve Young was our quarterback. They were doing awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay. I uh, saw him in action on on the field a few times. He's a couple years older than me, but those were fun. Those were fun football days. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. He's he's yeah. He's an absolute beast when it comes to football. Now uh, you yeah, said he, you said you uh, were running a theater, and I believe uh, you told me something about how uh, you you were using the to uh, do a fundraiser recently. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, what we were doing was uh, we did an awareness. Um, event education and awareness uh, with some of the other nonprofits in our in our community that you know do really important work for women and children you know provide shelter when they're escaping some sort of violent or abusive situation um, children's justice center they are advocates for children in court and so we we showed the documentary as a um, way to raise some funds for the nonprofits in our town, and it was a really big success. Um, people came out and supported, of course, the the film and in, in in being there. And our Q and A afterwards with the other nonprofits was really, really um, important. Uh, information for the community, and then we were able to to give both of the nonprofits about two thousand dollars and so it was really cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, great that's great and members of baca were there the bikers against child abuse they had a table set up and a couple other you know organizations in town that also you know empower kids and and so it was really it was a really neat event yeah um i was actually going to ask you uh a little bit later on but um how how did you come about meeting the members of baca and how how did they get involved with uh with uh, some of your forums and whatnot? Um, well, when I was uh, speaking and doing speaking engagements, pretty much wherever I was asked, you know, um, it was like back in the early 2000s that I had been asked to speak at the university here in St. George, Dixie State University. And because the guy who kidnapped me happened to live an hour away, which I had no idea. I had no idea that he was literally living right across the state line in Logandale, Nevada, and about an hour from St. George. He saw my picture on a poster, and he started to call the university and tell them that I had made up this story, that he would sue them if they let me talk. 
but they decided to go ahead with the conference and um, basically because of all the threats that he had made against the college, the, the, the St. George Police Department was at the event at the campus, those campus police were there, and then members of BACA, who I had actually met through my dentist, <laughs> his <laughs> hygienist was uh, a BACA member, and uh, anyway, she some, had some. told her husband, they were both BACA members, and so about 20 bikers showed up at my front door and surrounded my my car, it's like a motorcade of bike bikes around yeah. my car as I drove to the university and never in a million years did we think that he would actually show up but he did in a van with a gun and um, I was inside giving the, the presentation to about 800 women and their daughters um, and so it it was one of those crazy moments when the fact that he ran into a Baca member and brandished a firearm and then tore out of the parking lot it ended up on the uh, USA Today newspaper you know where every state has something listed yeah. about what happened in that yeah. state that day well that was mine you know oh, a woman's wow. you know kidnapper shows up 28 years later you know and causes uh, disturbance at a conference and so that's how I ended up uh, on Good Morning America a couple of days after that this was in 2004 and I was interviewed by Diane Sawyer about that whole event yeah yeah do you, do you have you ever gotten a break oh my god yeah correct you know oh i i have i've had i but i have to say the thing that's so disturbing about you know my story and about stories of children who are abused by somebody that they know love and trust is that that person oftentimes is never truly brought to justice um, because it's so hard to do it it's so you know there's so much shame associated around it and there's so much pointing of fingers you know even in my case you know people are they seem to be more angry with my mom and dad than they are with the perpetrator and i'm like yeah, why is that exactly they it's don't understand people think, yeah people think that my parents should have known something my parents were so innocent in this whole thing and they don't people don't understand grooming and and manipulation and even further tactics of brainwashing that are even more severe. And this man and his wife and five children, they moved to our neighborhood. We met them at church, and he groomed the entire family and congregation for two and a half years before he ever kidnapped me. And the way they do that is they find any little way they can worm themselves into each individual person's life and get people to do things that they otherwise wouldn't do like a master puppeteer that's pulling the strings and so it's really interesting how how quickly people want to deflect from the perpetrator and that's generally because people have such a hard time accepting the fact that this was our best friend or this could yeah. be your brother-in-law or your father or your grandfather or your aunt or your school teacher or somebody that's so close to you that it's just too awful to really try and imagine you you, you almost can't put the blame where it belongs you have to point fingers at somebody else and so that's why a lot of times these perpetrators just go on and move on to the next family it's, system, the next congregation, the next neighborhood, because they're never brought out of the so darkness into the light of justice. Made it. 
so easy for them to just be able to to move on to the next location um in your in your own words what would you say to kind of help people understand a little bit better what are some of the signs of grooming well, if, if they were big, scary flags, red flags like people talk about, we would recognize it, right? So the yeah. first thing is that you have to get inside the context that these are very, very tiny, little, what I like to call a blue sound wave that just kind of rolls through your gut. You kind of think, oh, the way that that... Huh, that friend of mine who took my kid to that scout thing, the way he touched their shoulder and ran his hand down their back, that was just a little too much. It's got to it's gotta be just this little thing that you notice. And then instead of shoving it under the carpet or shoving it to the back burner and saying, well, there's no way, this guy is the nicest guy. I mean, he's helped me mow the lawn and he's he's been, you know, I mean, they're, they're not scary looking people. They look like your best friend. Exactly. That's the first thing you have to inside that context. And then when you notice something and you have just a little gut feeling about someone, you better start paying attention and really looking to see if you if you notice other behaviors. And then honestly, the police officers who've been in attendance at the last half a dozen, you know, uh, speaking engagements that I've done, they all say just report anything because we try to check out everything and even if we don't find anything the fact that you made a report means that it will sit there in a file so that if somebody else reports maybe somebody you don't even know then all of a sudden they go oh my gosh two people noticed something about this person yeah. and then, you know so those are some of the things that I think are very subtle but very important that you take notice and then that you're willing to actually report something, especially if you see something more than once that really bothers you. Because when people don't pay attention to that, it's just, it's open, you know, it's like open play. It's, it's where, it's, it's just never going to be blatant or obvious most of the time. I mean, it's four out of ten women and two out of ten men who are sexually assaulted as children in this country. It's an epidemic. And so when you find out that, oh my gosh, 800,000 cases of reported child sex abuse in our country last year, in 2018, I'm talking about not the 70s, I'm talking about last year. We are not that smart and we are not seeing the stuff. And 87% of those reported sex abuse cases were by someone the child knew. So wake up we got to yeah. get the antenna up we got to fine tune it we have to see what we don't want to see the reason we don't see it is because it's just too awful to imagine and the first thing we do is oh, well not that guy i'm just being ridiculous you know i don't want to be prejudiced or think that i've i've made this up in my mind we we talk to ourselves like that because it's too awful to imagine the truth of it who We're wants to think that it's somebody that they love, know, and trust that could be doing something like this to their kids. For sure. So Nobody. if, say, say someone is maybe putting off that aurora or something, or yeah, maybe like aura or on aura. the aura, and they kind of like, 
you know, you kind of feel something, but you don't want to be, you don't want to be that prejudiced person. You know, what's, where's the line, yeah, you know, where, where where's the, right. where's the, where's right. the drawing of the line None of, of like. want to falsely accuse someone of this. That can ruin somebody's life, right? And, and we don't want that. And I'm definitely not, I mean, I'm not a man hater. I don't feel that way. Oh, this no. happens with men and women. <laughs> and this is what I think you do. This is what one police officer told me at a conference I did about 20 years ago now. He said, what you should do is you write it down. You make a log, the date, the time, and what it was, even if you can't, you know, describe that what they did was actually inappropriate, but what it was that happened or that they said or how they looked at or, you know, that, that gave you that little tiny feeling in your gut. Write that down. And then the next time that you're around that person and, and there's kids around and you notice something else, write that down. And if you could make a log of four or five things that you noticed, that that person is always the one that takes all the kids to go get an ice cream, you know, after an event, that that person is always the one that's offering to pick up the kids and give them a ride. And for some reason, it starts to feel like nobody is that interested in somebody else's kids. Not really. I mean, even my nieces and nephews, I only want to spend so much time with them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I love them. You've, that's we all know that that's the harsh reality have, of it isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah it's really true and so you know there's a certain there's a certain line that is i think most people understand that is kind of normal and then there's a certain line when you see a kid hop into a, a truck and sit right next to their their dad or their uncle or whoever it is that's driving the truck and you're like that's just weird that just that just there's plenty of room they don't need to sit right there in that in that truck they should be over on that other end you know it, it's like there's things that you can notice that you don't want to see that are right there and make a log of that and then once you have three or four or five or six of those things that are just like you know what this is too much this is over the line yeah, there is something not right here you know yeah. then you can then you could you know open at least make a report to the police department i wasn't even going to bring this one up but um i actually had a friend who i kind of i was starting to point out these really oddities of the man he was hanging around, and he he oh, is no longer I know my exactly friend. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and I because, would I would say that that was a systematic because a perfect honestly, example of grooming. He sat yes, there dude, he walked, he groomed him to think off. that way. Exactly. And I, I, he hasn't talked to me in in I think four years now, five yeah, years. It's, it's since I tried to because uh, there's like there's like really oddities, and I w he was starting to try to groom me, and I and I started to notice this, you know, and he was yeah. like he's like, hey, I know you have a father, but maybe. I could be your father. Yeah, like, and it's really, yeah. like that. Yes, this stuff. is good. But, You're but, exactly right on. Keep but going. The thing Keep is, talking. The thing is, is it, it, it's in this gray area where, you know, he's an adult. So, I mean, his decisions are his own. But, I mean, the mental but it started when he was. That the thing is that, that it, 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 started, it was groomed when he was a little younger. Around Well, I say younger, like 16, 17. Yeah. And, I, you know, his, his father. See, your brain isn't developed. Your, your, your consequential part of your brain where you can understand consequences doesn't even fully develop until you're about 25, 26 years old. Oh. Like, like, if I do this, the consequences I can see from this action that I do out 10 years, you, you don't have that even in your brain until... 
it, that's the last part of your brain to develop is the ability to see that this action that happens today gives me these consequences 10 years from now. So the fact that this was a young person, I mean, a 15, 16, 17 year old is still very young in that, in that um, area. And so they're easy to groom at that age. And then as they get older, now it's too late. They've already been manipulated and brainwashed. They've already been groomed. So now they start to become the person that this person has groomed them to be, and they will oftentimes be the person that goes after younger kids to bring into the relationship. You it's exactly so right. interesting. Exactly right. But I could give you several, you know, cases. There was a case I heard about when I spoke with the attorney general um, at a at a big conference for Operation Underground Railroad, and he he said I, he was the second uh, keynote speaker, and he said, "Well, first of all, everything Jan said is true, and let me tell you briefly about." one case had a man walk into the attorney general's office thought he was going to get deported he was an undocumented guy but he came in anyway because and scared to death and said something's wrong with my son my 14 year old son in the last year and a half his whole personality has changed um he's he's riding his bike you know, away from the house at different times of day. He comes back sullen. He won't talk to me. His grades have gone from straight A's to, you know, C's and D's. Something is wrong, but I don't know what, and I'm so scared, and I don't know who to turn to. You know, please help me. And so the attorney general's office opened up a case. They said, don't worry, just we're, we want to help you. Opened up a case and started watching this boy ride his bike to this house. And then they noticed other kids in the neighborhood riding their bikes to this one house in this suburban neighborhood, nice little neighborhood in suburbia. And pretty soon they're watching and following nine kids that are riding their bike to all from the ages of about 11 to 14 to this house. And anyway, they gather enough evidence and they uncover that this guy has been pimping these kids for sex out of this house in this suburban neighborhood. And they find out not nine kids, a total of 32 kids, some that were older, that, that got the younger kids involved. All the kids are brainwashed. None of them have told their parents. Not one other parent had come forward to say, something is wrong with my child. Something has happened. It was this little man who thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to get deported if I walk in there, but I have to have help because I don't know what's wrong with my son. And so, you know, you look at an experience like that and you're thinking, okay, where were all of the other parents? Where were their antennas what were they not willing to see or notice and 32 kids out of the same house being sold for sex in suburban america wonderful neighborhood and this is the kind of stories i'm talking about this is the same neighborhood that where you know my friend had this and uh you know i beat myself up constantly because you know i was i was a teenager too obviously at the time and i was you know dealing with my own little teenager things that i thought were um important to me and I remember sitting with him we were in like an Italian restaurant and he started talking to me about how his boss uh, basically our one of our um, not close friends but a friend's dad you know it was his boss yeah he's about his, how his boss was smacking him in the face how he smacked him in the face quite a few times I'm just going, oh man that's you know that's crazy why are you putting up with that and uh, he's like oh I'm just trying to uh, you know I need to stay there because he promised me you know the family business of working on cars or whatever and, you know, I just yeah. kind of dismissed it because at the time, you know, I was doing my own things. I was still, you know, I was preoccupied with myself. Sure. And, uh, proverbial and, candy and by the way. time, by the time I could get to him and try to help him, he had already been 
What's that? So, what's that? What's that word where you like kind of like sympathize with your captures or whatever? Uh, stock, yeah, it was like the Stockholm, like Stockholm syndrome. It was kind of like Stockholm. It's and you know he the parent the the guy convinced him to move in with him. So now he lives with the with that family. And this is such a good topic because and, this will help us move. And on it just go ahead, and I started to try to, I started to try to bring it up, and they told him that I was saying this because I disagreed with their religious beliefs. Yep, yep, yep exactly. And oh. so he cut, he, they, 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 he they cut had him cut, ties off. he had to cut off ties with me. Hasn't spoken to yeah. me in four or five years. And I, and I just, I, I, I feel like I can't do it, you know, because obviously he's in this position where he thinks that, you know, this man is a good man, so he would deny it, you know, any wrongdoing. And he so was it's like hard for me to, there's nothing our, I can do. And, uh, I think I think one of us have, we have went to the police and they said, "Hey, he's an adult and yeah, he stuff can do like what that. he wants." People just don't care about it the way that they should, and it's it's disturbing. Right. Um, one of the things wow. that I wanted to bring Great. up here Thanks, is um, you guys hitting it on the head, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what, it's kind of a similar situation. Uh, I had heard you speak before about how. Uh, Elizabeth Smart story kind of is almost in a similar situation where they get to a point where they're they're so mind controlled that they wouldn't even you know talk to someone that they knew if they if they ran into them. Right. I mean that's my opinion, but because I when I saw her after she'd been found and I knew the brainwashing that had happened to her, I'm like, you know that one woman that they interviewed on the news when she was found that just. The newscasters were asking people, have you heard the good news? Elizabeth Smart's been found. And this one woman, I'll never forget it, on the news, crossed her arms, took them off her steering wheel, and just folded her arms really fast. And she's like, this is disgusting. Why didn't the girl run out in the street and start screaming? She saw all the time and money and posters that we had put up spending, trying to spend all this time and money trying to find her. What's wrong with her? And I thought, oh, my gosh, I know why she didn't run in the street and start screaming. Uh, she wouldn't have done that even if her mother had been standing there because she was so manipulated by that time i mean nine months in that in that sort of fear and and uh, it, it, people just don't get they really don't get grooming mind control manipulation brainwashing they just don't understand it because they look at that and they think oh that's somebody sitting in a room where a white light is flashing in their face i'm like no this is can be as simple as somebody who's been conned to buy a car they don't want it's as simple as being as being um flattered to the point of doing something that you otherwise wouldn't do with a boy when i'm talking to teenagers i say yeah, it's peer yeah. pressure who's the ringleader that's getting you to do something you wouldn't otherwise do you've just been manipulated so you have to bring it down to people's level so they can relate but mine is this extreme story but all of these kinds of things are examples of being manipulated yes, yes. and that is what we want to get people to see and especially our young people so that they can hopefully not be you know but but in the meantime we as adults and parents and and those those people in their lives we have to see things for them that they may not be able to see for themselves yes okay. i do feel like uh in the in the recent years now that more stories are coming out it is helping but there's still a long way to go and i'm glad that uh, personally i'm i'm so glad that we might be able to help change some uh some opinions on this tonight so oh, i really appreciate it too because it really is a huge number of people and it's a really important 
it's an important movement that we start to change this tidal wave of abuse and and what you're doing is just a, a, a wonderful way to get this out there and get people talking that would otherwise not be talking about it and i think um it's such a it's such a hard uh it's just it's just a deep topic to talk about it, exactly and that's the whole point is that it's so hard to talk about period you know in, right under, and under any circumstance and that's why people feel like they can't come forward what well, right so, do you think that um you know, i mean think about how people are so have been so traumatized and and literally i still call it manipulated manipulation if they are holding on to a lethal secret even if they didn't want to go forward and like prosecute you know uncle henry or whatever if if, you know they're older now and they're in their 30s 40s 50s 60s and they they wouldn't even want to do that but they've never told anybody it's like that is lethal to them you know, the, the, the first the first step in healing is you've got to get it outside of you so you can look at it so that it isn't running your life. And I'm just like, people that are holding on to a secret about someone, they are still, to some degree, brainwashed because they're not talking about it. They're too ashamed. That's a, that's a brainwashing technique. If you can shame someone, make them feel like it's their fault or whatever, that, that keeps people quiet all the time. And something, uh, something big uh, right now that a lot of people, uh, obviously we, um, we before before we do interviews, we kind of branch out and ask people what, what we should ask and what we should talk about and and this yeah. that and the other. And um, one of the things that they they might want your opinion on is, uh, you know, things like things like that just re- recent happening in the news with that guy from uh, what's it called? What that that show? That he uh, he oh, was R. Kelly. Yeah, uh, R. Kelly's R- pretty rough. No, not R. Oh Kelly. It's kind of a separate issue, but I, I'm saying the um, the guy that was beaten outside. Oh, are you talking about uh, the guy who um, yeah, like, well, essentially did a hate crime? Yeah, the himself? hate crime against himself. You know, a lot of people are, are saying, you know, there's that there's that low 5-10% people that disturbingly make up something like this. How... Mm-hmm. When when something like that comes out, like when something like a like a false claim happens, how much do you think that affects people who have real claims yeah, and so makes true. them scared yeah, yeah. to to say something? Yeah, yeah because they that's a really good point. Of course, it's going to affect people because any time that you know on, on on both ends of the of the spectrum, it's going to affect people to either not tell because maybe somebody won't believe them, you know. Because then this guy comes out and we find out it was all made up, right? So it's going to affect that end. It's also going to affect the, the complete opposite end, like like maybe I can tell a story and make something up and get away with it, and I can harm somebody that I'm mad at. So exactly. you got these two sides. But I still think that the vast majority of people who come forward to tell their story, that the really important is that you believe them because there's such a tendency and I went over this with somebody earlier today in an interview I did I said if you don't believe the person who has done the hardest thing for them which is to come forward and to tell basically at any age there's so much 
you know, panic and fear and shame and, and, and guilt that somehow they have overcome in order to tell you something. If you don't believe them, it's like you're traumatizing them all over again. And the number of people who are not telling the truth are so small that you should err on yes. the side of yes. believe them, support them, help them do whatever the next step would be, whether it's to find a counselor or to make a police report or whatever support them it's really important exactly and I, it's so it's just so sad that even the even the small percentage happens because it just yeah. I, I really feel like it deters the the i mean there's so many unreported it does that's yeah. the thing right. there's so much unreported yeah, and undocumented like, like you were saying all the statistics Huge. a second ago and it's just astounding it's it's right. unbelievable but I know, because when you think it's 800,000 reported cases, and every single police officer or counselor or anybody that I talk to in any kind of a group like that, they're all like, oh, the numbers are four or five times that, that there are, have just not been reported yet, either because somebody's in denial and doesn't know uh, because they're being groomed and, and they don't even know that their child's being you know harmed by somebody they know, or because they do know that somebody's being harmed by somebody they know, and they just can't do it. They just can't report it because how how are they going to live in their family when they say it's grandpa? Half the family's going to believe them. Half the family's not going to believe them, and now they've lost their family. So it's like such a tough thing, and I'm like, you have to start to empower that that person who's going to come forward and tell, especially if it's somebody in their family, you have got to rally around them, support them, because that is the hardest thing to do. They may lose half their family over this thing, but they have to burn that family system to the ground so they can rise like the phoenix to create something new that is free from abuse, that it doesn't perpetuate and doesn't go on generation to generation to generation. That's how brave they have to be, and they need support. And you know these these numbers are just so baffling. What what's going right. on in this world that mm. people even think of doing these kinds of acts? Oh, right. Who, how is it that the, the the fastest growing illegal industry in the world is sex That's trafficking, sex trafficking yep. of kids and women? That are the, uh, how how is it possible that that's the that is a multi billion dollar industry that is growing at this exponential rate who are the people that are buying this yeah. what has happened to make people think that, that that this is okay where has their soul their their conscience where has it gone i don't know but it's it so is a huge question because that's the root of the problem that's where you have to go those folks that are paying for this or that are Oh, it just makes me sick. I just can't stand it. <laughs> did you did you hear about the story? There was a story in Texas. Uh, an eighteen wheeler was parked outside of like a Walmart, and mm -hmm. it was just full of full of uh, Hispanic children. And one of them oh. was able to get out and uh, go to the Walmart. And that people didn't even they thought she was on drugs or something. But she had been like she had gone like two days. Without water Without or food. anything, and, and water, yeah. oh, and um, and it was uh, uncovered just because she was able to get out by like breaking through with her fist, essentially. Um, oh. That yeah, it was a, a child sex traffic ring going on. It was in insane. Oh, and this is the thing. I mean, it's like you look at that, and then when you realize that the numbers of kids that are being abused by somebody they know is like ten times the number of children that are being trafficked to strangers, you're like, what really is going on in the world? What is happening? Yeah. We really have 
something is is really um i don't know i don't know what the answer is to that question but it is definitely one that i think about a lot i'm like how could this many people go wrong in how they are are um treating other other human beings and children how how can it be this many people but it is and it's like Ooh, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what it's, to it's, do about just, it. And like you said, there's just so much uh, money involved, and I, and I hate to go the, uh, I hate to throw in this, uh, the Illuminati type of conspiracy stuff. But the um, nearby us in uh, in a town I'll call uh, it Silsby, Texas. The um, yeah. there, there was a news story. Okay, there was a news story. I remember it clear as day that a sex trafficking ha- house was found. Wow. A- about a week or two later. Every trace of that story was deleted and gone. Are you serious? Yes, I'm 100%. And wow. then, and then a, a few weeks after that, there, there was people trying to kidnap people in the woods next to the Walmart. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's insane. It's almost like, I, I, hate it's, to, I hate to be the conspiracy theorist, but no, it's almost like they, they paid for this story yeah, there's, to be There's probably an got, unbelievable got amount rid of money. That's that's wow. flying around protecting these these. Uh, it's just it's just so crazy. That I feel garbage. like they're being protected. Yeah. Some somehow some somehow this. Yeah, this well, it so, makes huh? sense because of like you're saying, it's the there's so much money involved with some of those things that you know that's where that greed and that that, that almighty dollar has has taken the place of our. You know, of our our work ethic and our and our human, our our natural human um, emotions that are loving and kind and respectful. It's just like somehow it's corrupted us, and and it's just it's just uh, really sad, isn't it? It just is make it, it really makes me sad, and I still believe I still believe that the majority of the people in the world are good, and I still believe that you should have good relationships and trusting relationships and family relationships and faith in a bigger picture and know that there's good in the world. I, I think you have to concentrate on that to some degree so that you can not only sleep at night and, and, and keep your sanity, but so that you can, you can expand on the good instead of expanding on the bad. So that's kind of my message is how do we expand on the good and get people to, to raise their antennas and root out the, the bad? Yeah, it's just, I don't it's know. Tough. There's just so, there's just so, it seems like there's just so much though with the, the amount of people that are getting hurt. It seems like there's yeah. so many herders out there yeah. in fact just That's uh right. and, and, and you have to constantly be on the alert i know we were at the mall recently me and my wife and our, my son i was getting my hair cut and uh my, my wife said that she seen a picture on the news that they were looking for someone who's a kidnapper and uh-huh. she had seen this man in the mall watching our son and would like walk up like uh-huh. while, while i was getting my hair cut he would like walk up a little bit then back up and then walk up and like my son was kind of like running around i guess my, my wife was watching him and stuff but you know uh it was just kind of really like it was just really scary to think that oh you know gosh, you, you, didn't, surreal. you didn't see this guy on the news i mean it's just like and this was just like a few days like this is just out in public you're seeing people every time you go go out in public you have a major chance of bumping into yeah. a, a predator that's exactly yeah. right that's exactly right Yep, I agree. And that's just the scariest thing. It is. It really is. And then when you want to put that predator closer to home, it's somebody that you already know and trust, then it really makes you scared because that is such a a, a 
a common place where predators hang out and hide. They hide in plain sight. They hide at your family reunion. They hide in your in your church service groups. They they hide, you know, in so many places amongst the good guys, you know, because there's good people there in all those areas. But there's that one that's going to hide amongst the good guys, and that's why you have to just be so willing to raise your antenna and to and to see and and feel what there is to see and feel and not just brush it off because they hide amongst the good guys they don't look scary they look like your best friend your next door neighbor and and you know it's sad it's 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 scary especially because you're a parent and you're a daddy and you want to protect your little boy and i i want him to have a perfect childhood (laughs) never have anything awful happen to him (laughs) now would you think that this is some kind of mental birth defect or would you think this is more of a uh, hurt people hurt people type of situation where it's just a uh, a pyramid of people hurting others you, you know, I like think that that's why it's such an epidemic. I, I really do believe that the majority of predators have probably themselves been abused or harmed in some way. I do think that that can be a huge break in their in their normal, natural development towards the good. It, it breaks their spirit, and then they develop towards, you know, the bad. However, I do know a lot of people who have been through really rough things as children that have chosen to get help and make sure that they've got the right counselors and that they have um, lives that are productive and, and free from their past, you know, abuse, and, and that I believe you can make a choice there. So I think the thing that I say to people is even if there is a way that the predator can get help and can get counseling and can become, you know, a better person and not a a perpetrator anymore, I don't know if I would trust them in society. I still think they might have to live out their life in a special facility or in prison because I don't want to take the chance. I know that my perpetrator, the guy that kidnapped me, abused me for four years, went on to abuse four other girls before he killed himself and died. So I know that now because they've gotten in touch with me. And so you you go, wow, uh, this guy never stopped. He was grooming the next child while he was raping me. And then she put him in jail nine years later. This is a true story. He was convicted of rape of a child in about 1987, I think. He served a year in jail. He was sentenced to 10, served one, got out. And then there were three other victims that came. In the in the 2000s, do you believe until he, in, in nineteen the 1990s and early 2000s until he killed himself? And I I know who they all are, yeah. <laughs> so it didn't end. Do you believe in the instance of him that he was telling the truth about that? I know that he had uh, gone to like a bunch of uh, counselors or some some mumbo jumbo almost huh? I'd say, but do you believe that uh, that he was actually molested as a child or? You know I. Do I tend to believe that that is true? What he told my parents that he was going through, like when he used those tapes, you know, you saw the thing, and and he wasn't sleeping inside my bed, and it wasn't all night. He was laying by me on the outside of the bed, listening to these tapes that this fake psychiatrist had given him, which you know was found out later that he wasn't that his license had been revoked to listen to these tapes. That somehow that was going to help him overcome his childhood trauma. I do think that he probably did suffer for childhood trauma and sex abuse as a kid. So, you know, that's very possible. And for me, I think, yeah, that's probably true. So what it, what it boils down to is how do we help the perpetrators? 
how do we help them heal from their trauma so they won't perp on other kids? That's such a hard topic to think about. It's so hard because you want to just, you're just, I don't know, personally, whenever I just think of the topic, I'm just immediately filled with rage and hate. But, But I know that in order to progress as a society, we have to be able to understand it better and be able to overcome it together. Yeah, and maybe they can and maybe they can't. I don't know. In my case, my guy never overcame it. He just perpetrated on four other girls after me and three girls before me. And so it was a lifelong it was a lifelong thing that I don't know if the tapes were real. I don't know if that was just a story he gave to my parents. I don't I was asleep. You know, I'd been tucked in bed my whole life. I was 11 years old, and, you know, my mom and dad laid by us and read us stories, and we tickled backs and talked every night. So, you know, him laying by me was not a big deal on top of the covers with the door open, listening to these tapes. I was asleep. I don't remember him ever molesting me then. It all started when he kidnapped me, and I was in the back of that moving motor home strapped to a bed. And then that abuse all began. But, you know, if there's conjecture that maybe he was I, but I don't you know I can't say that because I don't remember any of that happening at that point yeah. so I think he had another little girl what I think is he was he was literally probably molesting somebody else while he was grooming me and my family in those two and a half years before he kidnapped me I think he was probably probably having some sort of molestation of some other little girl in town now, uh, you that's s- what I yeah, my yeah. opinion of what was happening <laughs> yeah you uh, you say this and it actually kind of hits home and i i feel like i have we have maybe one too many honestly we have one too many stories that are very uh relatable to this situation uh and uh i just i, I had asked if i had permission to uh tell you this story um my uh my wife was uh she was molested molested as a child uh for uh years years by her stepfather and uh, yep. one of the biggest things right now is that is that she you know she's going through therapy and and she has a therapist and uh, she she's trying to co- you know come out and and talk about it and and uh, and um, she she even messaged the the, the uh, her stepfather's new wife and you know tried to warn them that hey you know yeah. I was molested and and she actually got a lot of backlash from her sister and her mom and stuff and a lot of that has to do with they they, they still receive uh, money from the stepfather. And, um, See, it just makes and, me crazy. And but she's, yeah, but you know, it's really, it's just so scary because these she, that the stepfather is like watching the kids and and you know you know they're like oh he's he's no he's not like that or you know he's a change and stuff like that. It's like what do you how can you even justify how can you be around this person when they molested your sister your your daughter you know how are you gonna oh, let them around other children. You know, it's just exactly. it's, it's so yeah, sad. I have to respectfully. And it's all and like you said, it's the there. money thing. And you know, you they, know, they get hooked on on somebody that's you know helping them. They don't care about what they've done. Well, they don't care about the sins. That, no, they care about right. their own personal uh, being able to progress themselves. That's all that they care about. Just selfish. Right. And and you have to also go how much grooming happened yes, by that yes. man. On on her oh, sister yes. and mother, yeah, and no it's like that complicated um, balance between threats and rewards. The money is a reward for keeping quiet. The threats are are a threat for keeping quiet. And so it's so interesting that even those two other people, who your poor wife, you know, should be getting support from, 
they've probably been manipulated to some degree in order to stick up for this guy because that happened with my guy. All these people at church are like, well, you're not going to press charges. I mean, he didn't hurt her, and he's such a good man, and what will his wife do and the five kids? How will they make a living? He's the breadwinner. So you see how complicated this is. I just admire and just want to praise your your wife up and down for what she is doing to make sure that she is healthy and that she has recovered so that her life can move forward in a in a wonderful way she's really trying and she's actually going to school right now to become a a a child psychologist to help uh children who have been suffered through abuse and yeah uh, see that's what my mom did my mom went back to school after all of us went through college and became a social worker and she placed hundreds of kids in wonderful foster homes and in adoptive homes and they still write to her and they still send pictures and you know that's what she did to try to make up for you know what she thinks was you know a terrible sin and a, and, a ter- and terrible mistakes and that she should have and she didn't and so she tried to make up for it the rest of her life you know yeah. so and, and it's that's so, really so cool. easy to try and blame the people around them but you're exactly right yeah it's it's almost always a, a case of manipulation and grooming yeah that's what i think's happened to to her sister and her mother and i just think how horrible and they'll come to their they'll come to it at some point i bet in their life well they'll be very sorry for for not seeing and sticking up for her and they'll see him for who he really is at some point and he should be in jail i'm proud of your wife you know she should file a report and and see what happens because maybe and that's another thing you know when when she was younger you know she did and this this is part of the stigma so um you know she went to file a report when she was younger and the police almost they almost seemingly talked her out of it like they're like oh you're gonna have to you're you know you're gonna have to get us you know stand up in front of everybody and tell them exactly what you did and it was almost like you know scaring her trying to you know it's like victim blaming it's the victim blaming that happens to people especially young people and especially when you know they're they want to say something to uh you know somebody that's basically an authority figure an adult a leader you know it happens all the time that the victim is shamed it's why it, it is so rampant in various you know churches and religions because that person is a leader that person is you know and so they're just shamed out of out of telling or making a report because you know who's going to believe you this guy is you know this wonderful you know priest or bishop or cardinal or or minister or pastor or whoever and and uh, they just get shamed out of it yeah i think people definitely need to take a huge thing Huge look at all of the people around, especially and, and, whenever and you it see, comes to their church. You know, and you see that these yeah, these exactly. people, you know, a lot of these Catholic priests and stuff like that, they've they've molested hundreds no, there's not of even children. A number. There's not even and a you yeah. think you think that you know these one you know churches they get so big and you know in the Catholic church they get so huge they're such huge. You think, like she said, hurt people hurt people. Yes, exactly. And so, I just feel like. Definitely, there's a, there's definitely a way for it to trickle down when so many yeah. people we're finding have been abused. Yeah, and, and of course, to, and that's the thing. You know, you hope yeah. that what will happen is that those who've been abused will find the support they need, will come forward and tell, will get a counselor, they will get, you know, support from their families and, and, and the important people in their life, like their husbands, like you. And when they get that, all of those things, I believe, can be healed. It's not that you don't think about it, that you, you can forget about it, but you really can like then really move forward in creating your own life from that point on. Like you can, you can be 
a fully recovered, happy childhood person at age 40. <laughs> you know what I mean? You yeah. can decide how it goes from there, but you got to get the help and support you need first and you got to talk about it. So the fact that you're supporting her in, in doing this and that she allowed you to talk about this today is a huge step in the right direction yeah, that absolutely. I'm just like, okay, this is the kind of thing that we got to make this movement about. This is exactly what it needs to be. People helping other people come forward, you know, either shutting down that pedophile, that child molester, and making sure that, that justice is served. Try and tell her, her mom and her sister, you know, you guys are, are not being supportive here and you're not seeing it. He obviously manipulated you or you're just after, you know, the money, which is ridiculous, you know, when it's your daughter. I just can't even stand it. But that's what our job is now. Now that we can talk about this and bring it to the forefront, now getting the support around people so they can be helped and healed and not perpetuate the cycle of abuse. That is the mission. That is the message. I'm, I'm so glad we we're able to talk about this. We, we had like a list of things that we had here, and this is going so well. I'm just. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> just yeah, well, what other? Do you have other questions? Anything else? Oh, I yeah. Guess, we, you know? we have, we have just, a lot of stuff. If you're willing to uh, stick with us for a while. Sure, we may have to turn this into two two episodes. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine with us. Fine with us. Uh, sure. We may actually. Uh, we're, about, we're about to, uh, you know, get into the uh, documentary and everything, but maybe okay. let's. Uh, Dial it back a little bit, and before we get uh, more intense, I'm going to finish this beer. Uh, more intense. Uh, <laughs> uh, you were just on the view. How'd that go? Uh, you know, it was a great experience. It was really cool because you know you have all those really intelligent ladies that are on all the different sides of the equation, right? When it comes to so many subjects, but on this subject, they'd all seen the documentary. They were all united in like this is a movement that has to happen because all of them could probably tell a personal story, whether it was themselves or somebody that they know that's close to them, that's been through some sort of abuse from somebody they know. It's so common that, and I, and I basically uh, just felt their support of like, keep going, get this out there, get it, get it moving into the, into the place where it's exponentially, you know, other people are now taking this message forward and, and we got to come up with a hashtag or something. It was really a cool experience actually. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Tilson right. or something. Um, I, 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 I did watch the, uh, the episode of the view with you on it. I just wish that there would have been more time for you to uh, right. uh, explain a little bit more. Uh, but that's yeah. just how those those TV shows are. They're they're kind of like skimmed down. Yeah, I know how, these little segments. You only get this little segment, but they already some of them said we hope you can come back and that they'll have you back when the book comes out because we want to promote that too. Because in the book you get more information, right? Because it's a book. Right. So exactly. when Abducted in Plain Sight comes out in March, uh, late March, then people can, you know, get even more understanding about how that friendship developed and how that grooming happened and so it gives you more clues to see in your own life when you can read it uh as well and uh yeah uh, you were you were also on uh, dr phil uh, a little bit mm -hmm. you know how, how long ago was that a few years now that yeah. was that was actually about two not quite two years ago but i have another episode that i came in at the end of the dr phil episode um to basically be kind of an empathetic expert you know i've been through this and here's what i did yeah. this girl that had been sex trafficked the majority of her of her young very young life and and uh 
so I came on the show again, and that that actually airs on Friday. That episode. Wow. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I had no no inclining of that <laughs> inclination of that whatsoever. What uh, what what are some of the differences between a, a show like The View and Doctor Phil, like the backstage and and, and the prep? Oh, you, you know, with, okay. what, what's so great about um, both of those shows and any of the shows that I've done, I've even been on TMZ and I've been interviewed by E! News and I've done some other like Skype interviews for Daily Mail TV. It's interesting because in, th- in on this subject, everybody is like supportive and united in telling the the story but also the the bigger message which is you know getting this out to people who can then feel empowered to come forward tell their story bring it out of the dark corners of their life get the perpetrator out of the shadows and into the light of justice like i like to call it they're they're getting that empowerment and that's what I was so hopeful that in telling my story, which I've been doing for 20 years, you know, that somehow it would empower the one person to, to say, you know what, I, I can tell and I'll be supported and I'll be able to move past this in a way that will make my life and the lives of my own children or my generations to come better. Yeah. So. Jim, They've all um, been united in that way. The, the differences backstage, is that what you asked me? Oh, oh yeah. he, just, he just meant like yeah, the whole studio process or whatever, going through a, a TV show versus, you know, maybe like a podcast or something like that. Yeah. Well, the difference is that a lot of times, you know, you don't really, you get a little bit of um, brief questions of what they might ask you, but you don't really know what they're going to end up saying because, you know, they're all they're all talking from their expertise so it's kind of um it's a little bit scary but i can definitely understand that (laughs) (laughs) but you know i wasn't scared on either of those shows i felt very very taken care of like like they really wanted to get it right you know say the things that would help other people uh listening and even in their audience you know more personal like I had all these people, you know, in their uh, in the audience at the view that kept putting their little fingers together in the heart shape. They kept doing that, and I kept thinking, "Oh, those people know what I'm talking about because they've been through it themselves." I can, t- you can tell, yeah, like people want you to it. know, like it happened to me, and thank you for being our voice, or thank you for being a hero or a champion of this particular message. So it was really, it was really cool because that just happened not on purpose it just happened organically in the audience and as i walked off the stage so many people clapped and they and they were pointing at themselves like me too it happened to me and i just said keep talking keep telling keep going you're you're brilliant and i know 40 percent of you have been through this because those are the statistics and i love you (laughs) you know so that was really cool to to have that experience with that audience at the view um this time one of the things that i uh i found out whenever I was doing more research about you was that there was a kind of a key instance where you decided to make a, a pretty big change in the way that you uh, perceived your own story uh, something about uh, it was called the landmark forum could you could you give us yeah. more information about that 
Yeah, it was a really interesting um, weekend that I went to at the recommendation of actually my ex-sister-in-law. She said, you know, Jan, I had such a great experience at this um, landmark forum that I did. I It really helped me to see the past in a different way, and it helped me to kind of get it out of my present and give me some space to create the future and the life that I really, you know, wanted. Because she had gone through some some kind of rough things too, and so just based on that recommendation, I went ahead and signed up and went to this, and it was a weekend long um, forum where there were about a hundred people in the room, and it and it took you through different um, you know uh, scenarios that kind of blew your mind. Like there was one thing that came out of it, like you don't know what you don't know, you don't know. You know, just like that, you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) And when you kind of all of a sudden see something in your life that you never knew was there, it like changes everything. It's not like your life is any different, but the way you see it is different. And that's what that really did for me. And so it allowed me, I was 30 years old when I did it, and it allowed me to take what had happened to me and not be wearing it like a like a big heavy coat like I wasn't a victim anymore I could take the coat off and I could put it over there like like lay it over a chair and be able to look at it and go oh I know what happened to me and I can see you know how those things have affected my life and I can learn from them and I can maybe even help somebody else but it doesn't have to be something I wear every day I don't have to be dragged down by it and it really really did me turn a corner in being able to tell my story in a way that I knew I was strong enough or I was free enough to do it. And it really was very beneficial in my own healing process. It's something that I've often said, you know, it was very inexpensive. It cost like 500 bucks or something. And it was like three full days of what I considered to be the best counseling or advice or therapy I'd ever had. Yeah, you can't put a price um, on on the difference that it's allowed you to make in other people's yeah, lives. It, it just did. It freed me up. So that's something. That's one of the things. And then I had a couple of other really good counselors along the way. Plus, I had 12 perfect childhood years. I mean, my <laughs> yeah. parents were phenomenal. I, I, I can't say enough good about them. I mean, you know, mom was able to stay-at-home mom. Dad came home from work at the flower shop every day, and we ate dinner around the dinner table and talked. And our parents were great communicators. They listened to us, and they loved us unconditionally. And so those are the things that I was able to go back to and build on when we finally figured out that it was all a lie. So So that brings us to the the documentary that everyone's talking about, you know, and this actually, the documentary actually came out in uh, 2017, I believe, and, you know, but now it's getting so much notoriety thanks to, thanks to the platform that is Netflix. Yeah. Right. um, Yeah, won a bunch of awards in 2017 when it was in the film festival circuit, but you never know, you know, if it's going to go anywhere, you, you just don't know. And so it was really a great thing that Netflix picked it up and we're really grateful to them because there's nothing like that platform and it definitely now, has gone viral a lot of so. uh, a lot of confu- uh, 
There, there's some confusion though amongst the uh, the documentary and the timeline that it shows. I, I feel like if people aren't, if people are just watching it in a Netflix type type fashion, they get up to go get a drink or something, or you know, they're not really, you know, fully paying attention to like maybe little words at the bottom or that says, you know, three years ago or two years ago. Yeah, it does. Right. It does kind of go straight into uh, the the Mexico part and then retrace its steps. And so you know a lot of saying. so a lot of people you know I've been you know listening on the radio they, you know, a lot of a uh, but that's radio, a good tactic to bring help pull people but a lot in of well. yeah but a lot of talk show hosts they kind of they they'll say things and it's kind of like not they get it wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> they, they get it wrong because it's not necessarily based on the that. timeline they you know they, right. they, they you know they they start contributing that uh that the father situation happened Way after yeah, happened they, after the first abduction. Oh. You know they, no. they, yeah. That's what that's it. You know, I was, I was, I was upset yeah, at one oh, show. Yeah, the I was upset. I was upset at one show because the father, because they, they were like, oh, the father did that after she was abducted. It's like, it's no, like no, no, no. You don't know what that was like about. three like, years before. If you, you know, would have paid attention. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do you know? get, I get that. So a lot of the timeline it. stuff. So I just wanted to try to uh, clear up the timeline for those yeah. that are confused. Uh, that would be great, actually, because it does make a huge difference. Because yeah. After the first kidnapping, my dad never let the guy back in our house. He was not welcome there. He was still working on my mom, calling her every day, two and three times a day, talking to my mom about how in love he was with her. Right. And that ha her, her thing happened in between the two kidnappings. But even she finally saw through him and realized something. I mean, right. first of all, she did something that she would normally never have done. But she also saw through it and before the second kidnapping she and my father were back together a united front and they were definitely trying to get this man out of all of our lives right. and he kidnapped me again so yeah the timeline is very confusing because like you said unless you pay attention that's why i've said to people go watch the documentary again and pay attention to what happened <laughs> when you know most of everything that people are up in arms about with my parents happened before the first kidnapping exactly. and like i said they were groomed and manipulated and and you know the perfect the master guy knows how to get people to do something that yep. they have a weakness or whatever they just know how to do it they know how to find that one thing and then get them over a barrel so they can blackmail them you know they just know how to do it they're so good at it right. and you know that's that's what i always tell people you know he was like a master puppeteer he was pulling all the strings you know to get everybody to do what he wanted them to do and while they're worried about their own you know selves you know that smoke screen is created over here because they're worrying about their own selves and oh i shouldn't feel this way and oh i shouldn't be doing this so they're definitely not their antenna is not up paying attention to what might be happening to their child when there's just they're, they're not even focused on anything like that at all yeah so it's yeah it's really important that people get it it's important that people understand that my dad you know was heterosexual he was not a homosexual because if that guy can manipulate somebody like my dad to do what he did that one time with him you know can you imagine can you yeah. imagine how great of a master oh which he, mind which, he like, really was you and that's the thing that state of people you know yeah. based off the uh the time, you know, the timeline and the the time that this happened, the the era that it happened, you can see that maybe he did that to manipulate your father out of to uh, to you know, he, to he dropping the charges, especially especially with being in the I I, I feel like the LDS yeah. community um, yeah. may, may have looked a lot down on the 
on any type of uh, uh, non-heterosexual act. At the time, yeah, there sure, and, and that's now, very but, true. In that time, especially that you know, any kind of a what would be considered masturbation, first of all, yeah. that was looked down on, and then of course, what would be, you know, as as people have tried to say, oh, well, your dad was just a closeted homosexual, and I'm like, well, no, he wasn't. And, and again, I have a million gay friends, so, like, you know, I don't have any, there's no issue there. It's just that my dad wasn't. It's just that he fit a stereotype. You know, he was a florist. He was a musician. He was artistic. Um, he happens to fit a very, a very narrow stereotype, and um, which is unfair, which is an unfair exactly. thing. You'd be the anyway, thing in 2019 so it's interesting. Really interesting. We're a little over that, but yeah, know, here we are. <laughs> but yeah. The, but the, uh, so the timeline is that uh, you met. Are your family met him about three years prior to the kidnapping, right? Right. Yeah, it was about two and a half years. Uh-huh. Oh, two and a half right. years. Uh, during this time, he during this uh, between this first meeting him and the first kidnapping, he had the masturbation with your father, and he had a intimate uh, moment with your mother in the in the in the. Um, like driving up somewhere, they drove up somewhere. And yes, driving to a church. Yes, they were at a and, conference, um, kind of like a convention. Yes. Or so something. he had these intimate moments with them, and then he also uh, had the he was sleeping in y'all's bed because he went to the fake therapist and had these recordings. And he was, uh-huh. kinda, he was he, laying on top of the bed. So sleeping in the bed is different than laying on top of the bed. He was laying by me on top okay. of the covers and listening to these tapes. Yes. Okay. Right. You got it. Okay, and then. Uh, so then, he uh, they they're all they're you know they they've been kind of groomed to trust them, especially you know the mother ha- the your mom has some oh, ha- has some yeah, sort of he, you know feelings is. towards the man, you know, uh, uh-huh. and so she she's a little bit more trustworthy than he had entangled his roots into yeah, every he, single member, every of the single family. aspect yeah. of the family. He's entangled right. his roots. Right. So he asks, hey, can I take your daughter right. out? Uh, they they go and your your mother waits like five days before finally. You know, your parents wait five well, days before finally contact. Too, okay, like, now that's another where... interesting thing. So that's another part that's kind of left out of the documentary. So the very night that we didn't come home, that very night when we didn't show up, by this time, Gail, his wife, I don't know if I should say her name, but anyway, his wife had come down to my mom and dad's house. I mean, they're best friends, right? And, they're, and she's worried. They're all worried. Like, do you think they got in an accident? What happened? They called the sheriff's department the very night I, I we didn't come back and said, asked, has there been any accidents? And they described his car. Has there been anything? You know, can can you send police out to look? They were headed towards American Falls to go horseback riding. They're not looking for a missing child. They're not looking for a child molester. They're just thinking we got in an accident. They did call the sheriff's department. They said, no, we haven't had any reports of any accidents. We will put out an APB, you know, to look for the car that you've described. And... That was that. That was the first night. The second day that goes by, mom and dad are like, well, who else do we call? And and they had talked about calling the FBI, and Gail was like, oh, no, don't don't call anybody like that. I think in her mind, the bells and whistles were going off, too. You know, he bought a motorhome. You know, we've moved three times before we ended up here. Something's, you know, she knows something. She's not, I don't think that she knew 
cognizantly or, you know, I don't think she was that person, but she also, I believe, was was abused or manipulated oh, or groomed sure. by him, right? Absolutely. So she's got a few Absolutely. little ideas going off, and she doesn't want, want them to call the FBI. So she says, I'll call all of our relatives. Maybe, maybe something, I don't know, maybe he went to see somebody and he just hasn't called home. He just, you know, so my mom and dad are like, okay, well, we won't call anybody yet. And so they wait. And then by the next morning, Saturday, when they did call, which is just, you know, a day and a half later, it, the FBI office was closed. And it said you can call on Monday, and they got some number in Butte, Montana. And so now they've kind of done everything that they know to do. They're like, well, I don't know what else to do. And, and, and they don't feel like there's any foul play because they don't, no, they yeah, don't have that anything. recognition of this person yet, right? No. So what happens is on Monday they do call again down to the police department. They have put out an APB, and guess what? They had found the car. They found it off the road, hard to see. It wasn't like it was visible from the road, but they had found the car. And the next day, on Tuesday, is when the FBI came to their home. They just showed up. Pete Welsh, the guy in the documentary, and his partner showed up at mom and dad's doorstep. And that was how it went. But, you know, you don't get all those details in the documentary because you're taking a seven-year story and trying to fit it in 90 minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it looks like, oh, they didn't call anybody for four days, you know, but, until Monday. Yeah. And that's not really well, true. Uh, one of the things that I think, let's let's take a step back here as well, is is let's let's focus on, on how intertwined he was with your family for, for that whole process of, of being like, well, you know, let's not worry about it too much, like, how, how yeah. did that play into effect? Can you describe that okay. a little bit better? Sure. So I had somebody ask me on another radio program recently. They're like, well, but who lets some dude come down and put walls up in their in their kid's bedroom? I said, well, and this is the same answer for you. I said, the same guy that you've, that you've had a family night with a hundred times where their family and your family has gotten together and had potluck and then played games and done a puzzle and gone to the movies. The same guy that's picked us up for school every morning. All of his kids are in the car. He picks us three girls up and takes us all to school. So that guy, the guy that's that's sitting by you in church doing a service project, you know, to help the little old widow down the street mow her lawn and clean up her yard. That guy. That's the guy. So you have to... You have to realize this man was my dad's best friend by this time. Yeah. This man had five children. His oldest was my age. I had a crush on his oldest son. He had five boy, four boys and a little girl that was just a baby when they moved into our area. So we're talking now little, their little girl is almost three years old by the time that he kidnaps me. And and his wife and, and my mom are great friends. His wife was kind of shy, but she was so much fun because she did crafts. She'd have us over and we'd paint ceramics or she'd teach us how to make, you know, this new kind of chocolate chip cookie, you know, dough recipe that you could keep in your fridge. And then you could just take them out and put them on the pan. I mean, I remember specific things doing at their house and that they would come over to our house. We'd gone boating with them, snowmobiling with them. They had a trampoline, all the stuff we didn't have, you know, it's like, that's who the guy was. He was close enough to my family, and, and the whole family was close enough to our family, that literally, if, if 
the right circumstances had come up and there had been like a discussion like, hey, if we die, we're going to sign over our children for you to be their guardians to take care of them. I mean, we had aunts and uncles that were already in place that we were close to. My dad was an identical twin. And so my, his twin brother and their wife, you know, that's what the insurance said. If for some reason both my parents were killed, we would have been raised by my uncle Dick and aunt Carolyn, who we adored and loved and had, you know, four boy cousins and a little girl in that family. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting that my <laughs> uncle's family, and they live just about, you know, a mile away from us. He also had four boys and a little girl. And they were also, you know, our favorite cousins and whatever at that time because we did stuff with them as well. And how interesting that the Birchtoll family resembled that family, Almost you know, our family. actual yeah. uncle and aunt's family. It, it just, it's just so interesting. But that's that's who the guy is to us at yeah. that moment. That's who you have to imagine. Whew. That's how close. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that, the sip of the beer. That's and that you know all this kind of plays into you know back to the documentary. The um, you uh, you get abducted. Uh, I guess you travel for obviously you know about five days, six days down and mm -hmm. you, uh, you get to Mexico are you stopped at the border or are you stopped yes that's an interesting story that isn't in the documentary either yes we were stopped at the border and he had me by this time I've I've realized that he too has been kidnapped right he's the male companion you know for me this is like my dad you know and this is like a, a the most familiar person it was such a relief when i finally was you know let i could go see who it was who would who the male companion was and it wasn't a stranger i didn't even know what that meant yet i didn't know it was going to mean you know sex and, and and all the molestation and all the you know i didn't know what it even meant i just knew that i was supposed to have a child to save a dying planet with the male companion and i was so happy it was him and not somebody else and so when we got to the border he had me put on these clothes that were boys clothes and he had one of his own children's birth certificates one of his boys because he oh, had four boys holy shoot and that's and he had to dress up like a boy that's not documented there's so much to this story that is not in that documentary it is so waiting to be like a seven-year series <laughs> but i gotta have the best writer in the world yeah exactly <laughs> write it. exactly yeah oh man and you you, you get to, you so y'all are y'all are uh, taken into custody uh, in Mexico, and um, I guess he bribed, yeah, many he, he bribed the guard yes. to uh, see you and, and threat. Or, well, not really. Th I guess uh, it's like a, a weird threaten where he's kind of like, well, uh, you know, was, your, your child, yeah, your, your, your sister's, yeah, your sister's going to uh, be abducted if mm -hmm. if you don't uh, comply and lie and, you know, tell them, you know, all this mm -hmm. stuff. And, uh, right, because I've already been listening to these tapes. These tapes come on at odd times all through these 39 days that he's got me, you know, before I'm found by the FBI. It's 39 days. I mean, it's a long time. And so I, these tapes will come on and start playing, and he would go into a trance. I mean, you want to you want to talk about, you know, UFOs and all the things that he did. To, he'd take all of us kids to the science fiction movies in the early in those two and a half years because they were really popular in the seventies. And then he'd bring over every newspaper article that had a UFO sighting, and there'd be a little picture, black and white, with this little white disc up in the up in the corner of the picture. And he would talk about, "Gosh, is this? Do you think this is real?" And he's not talking to me; he's talking to my mom and dad. He's like, "Do you think that there are is life on other planets?" Could they really be coming to like visit our planet? And my mom would be like, "Oh, brother, no, that's not real." And my dad was like, "Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I think that there's 
there's got to be life on other planets somewhere in the universe, but I don't know. You know, so he's yeah. having these discussions around me. That's all part of the grooming. So when exactly. I woke up in the back of that motorhome, people say, how long did it take you to be brainwashed? I'm like, five seconds? Because I'm hearing an alien voice coming out of this tape recorder in this high-pitched, monotone, staccato voice. I mean, it, it was as close to a science fiction movie as what I had seen. And I, I literally thought I'd been taken by, by an alien you know, an alien thing. That, I mean, it, it, it wasn't even a stretch. Yeah, and that yeah, just kind of shows. That just kind of shows how much prep he went into, yeah. and how, how, how much, much time, yeah. how much time he spent thinking about this and having to develop a plan. Just because, yeah. I mean, it's obviously right. it's obviously yeah. not the same technology as today. You know, that kind of stuff could happen, and it's horrifying that, to sit there and think well, about. Well, how that long kind of he had this. Exact yeah, because that kind of that place. kind of thing could you know yeah. be done in you know ten minutes today. But back not, then, not only that, that seems but, like such a hard task oh, to, yeah, to pull off. To pull off, yeah. and, and he had to have a long time to do it. But like what James yeah, saying, the crazy thing Yeah, he planned it very carefully is, for a long, long time. <laughs> yeah, the crazy thing <laughs> yeah. is the fact that he was not only doing this to you, but he had other other plans in motion too, just in case you didn't work out. That's Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's actually true. And I do know of one other girl after me who I had a conversation with her on the phone, and she said, he planted those brainwashing tapes on me, and I've never told another soul because I didn't think anybody would believe me. And I said, you know, it's so funny because I had those same fears early on in my 30s when I started to just talk to small groups or people that would ask me about it. And I said, and I kept thinking, oh, what if somebody doesn't believe me? In my 40s, I finally hit hit a, a stride or a place in my life where I was like, I don't care if somebody doesn't believe me. I know what happened. And because this story is so crazy, I believe that people will listen to it and that they're, and that by listening to it, they're going to find some small connection to grooming or brainwashing or manipulation that's happened to them or someone they know and that it'll help people. And I just thought, right. I don't care if somebody believes me or not. And, uh, you know, uh, you know some of the uh, biggest strife people have uh, that I'm hearing. Uh, you know after after this uh, the first abduction and after the blackmailing of your father to uh, to drop the charges, uh, uh, a lot of people are having strife with the fact that your your mother continued to have a intimate relationship with this man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but... This is really interesting. This is really good. I'm glad you asked me that because of course people would hope that by the time he comes back and or the FBI found, finds this and all of that, that they would, you know, see through him and know what he was. But they didn't. My dad knew he didn't want him around. My dad knew that what he had done was wrong. My mother knew what he had done was wrong, but she was trying to protect my dad with that one incident. So they did sign affidavits saying, you know, we basically gave him permission. We didn't think he would hurt her. We don't think he did hurt her. And they signed those. What's not in the documentary is that they retracted them four days later. So oh, yeah. I can no, send they, you... They don't have that yeah. in the documentary at all. Wow. No, I know. <laughs> so the documentary isn't perfect. I mean, it's a it, it's what? perfect in the fact that it's got people talking, yeah, and yes, that's yes. awesome, but yeah. it's not perfect in telling the full story. So they yeah, retracted those, those affidavits. There's an article in the Pocatello newspaper that I had my mom find. The actual, it's, it's a cutout. It's not even a copy. It's actually, she cut it out. My mother saved everything, thank goodness. All the love letters she wrote to me, all the newspaper clippings, every, every single 
things. We've got them in like three huge binders. It, you can't believe the amount of stuff that we have. And yeah, I, I have her find that, that article where she said, but we didn't, we didn't follow through. We, we asked for those things to be retracted and the state went forward with the kidnapping charges. He was found guilty of kidnapping 20 months later. And guess what? When he was sentenced. So this is interesting. So I have to just tell this because I think it's please, so cool. Please, please. So, so 20 months later, when it actually all went to trial, you know, and he actually, I mean, he was charged with um, uh, first degree kidnapping. He was found guilty. His sentence was, I think it was five years, if I remember right. It was reduced to one year, and then it was reduced again to 45 days. And then he kidnapped me the second time, and the sentence that he was going to serve was reduced to 10 days because all the days that he had served in jail when they were waiting, sorry, talking too fast, waiting for arraignment where he sat in jail, and when he was in jail in Mexico, they credited that towards his time spent and served in jail. So the bad part was my parents had, had signed those things, which basically didn't give enough witnesses to probably make a strong enough case for him to have stayed in jail but what's so interesting is during the time that that all happened 20 months later he literally took me again put me hid me away in pasadena california and then came back and served his 10 days in jail and moved his motorhome to a trailer park where nobody knew where he lived so when they realized, oh my gosh, she's gone again, and he's telling everybody I've run away, and that I'm a prostitute, and I'm on drugs. I mean, it's just hilarious, right? right? Because I'm still not that, and I'm 14, and I'm still like 70 pounds, and I'm still years away from puberty. I didn't hit puberty till I was graduating from high school. I was 90 pounds, five feet tall when I graduated from high school, and became, you know, started to go into puberty about the last two months of my high school years, and before my 18th birthday, finally. So it's so interesting that people, if they knew the timeline, if they could see that and go, oh my gosh, he came back and spent his 10 days in jail and nobody knew where he lived. And so he was coming on the weekends to see me and to, to take me out of that school and do his dirty work and put me back to school. And then he'd go back to his, you know, his trailer park. And they, it took him, it took him months before they actually found out where he lived. And then finally were watching him. You know, and watching where he was going and stuff. So, yeah. I personally scoffed so, real bad whenever yeah. they. Well, so what's the agent? What's the what's the timeline? What's the exact timeline between between them? You know, they, obviously they 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 dropped the charges, then they reversed the dropping the charges. What's the timeline between that and your mother's intimate relationship with him? So my mom, my mom's intimate relationship happened shortly after when he was in constant contact with her after the first kidnapping and kept saying, you know what, Marianne, you know, I would never have hurt the kids. I love these kids and I love you and I want you and I'm divorcing my wife and you've got to come down here and I'll tell you more because my mom's main question to, to him was why did you have her married to you in Mexico? And basically what he said was, well, come down here and I'll tell you why. I mean, I couldn't have come back to the United States. The reason I did that was so that I could come back into the country with Jan. Otherwise, they would have, you know, I don't know, locked me up and thrown away the key in Mexico. So that's what he told my mom. And then he says, now come down here, come down to Ogden where he was working as a car salesman for his brother. 
and and I'll tell you all about it. And so my mom went down there to talk to him, and one thing led to another, and that's when that's when the 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 one of three times that they actually had sex happened. Right. But but they call it an eight month affair because my mother saw him sometimes with all of us girls. We'd go with her because we wanted to see the family. We we still yeah. these were still our best friends. My dad was like, no way are they ever coming to our house again. But but my mom would take us some of those times. So those trips were, you know, over an eight month period of time. So it really took about eight months. And then eight months in when my dad filed, um, divorce, uh, the papers for divorce, my mother, it kind of jarred my mother into reality. And she went, Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose Bob. And I love my husband and I'm going to lose my girls. Oh my gosh. I'd, I'd step in front of a train for my kids. What am I doing? And she basically came back and just start, you know, she just, finally saw the light, I guess you could say. And she was like, this man is evil. I can see that he's using me to get to my daughter. I I get it for the first time. I am seeing through him. It's kind of like where we want, you know, your mother-in-law and her sister to go. We want them to see the light of what's the reality of this stepfather. And it's so hard for people to see it. But once they do, then they were united. They got back together. They were a united front, and of course, they stayed together and and repaired their relationship and everything um, until the day my dad died in November, just this past November. So, yeah, I so think, eight months, but it was twenty months between first kidnapping and the second one. I think it's an absolute testament to how little uh, Birchfield actually cared about you that he served time in jail while you were in another state. That's just yeah. That's sickening. Yeah, it really is. Isn't it? Yeah. Nobody's ever said that to me before. Thank you. Uh, was that Adam? Or, no, that was Amy. Amen. Okay. Well, thank you for. I've never had anybody say that before and put that together in that way. Thank you. Yeah. That's really true. It is sick. It's uh. It's just. A, I was just the thing, wasn't I, to be used? It was nothing. There was no feeling really there. Yeah. That's really amazing. Thank you. It's just. Yeah. It's such a stressful. I mean this. You, you you went through what may be the most stressful thing for anybody to hear, and you went through that. Yeah, I mean, um, one of the things is like that I uh, – this is a weird time to bring it up, but, you know, you have your acting career, and you've starred in these, these shows and these films. And I think that it's just mind-blowing to know that your story, your actual life story that you've gone through, you know, makes all of these pale in comparison. Uh I know you well, worked. <laughs> you worked on things like uh, you know, was this a uh, maniac with the um, Elijah Wood and Iron Man yeah. three and uh, this uh, TV show Everwood. I yeah, mean, um, I did. Chris Pratt, who was one of our teenagers, he was, you know, <laughs> now Chris Pratt's huge movie star. He was one of our kids. <laughs> I mean, how how do you go from how do you go from something so? I mean, so uh, traumatic. Traumatic. Yeah. And then you know, find yourself a career in acting, and uh, and and start to develop yourself as you know this career as successful. Oh, thanks. That's a big. That's a big question, and and there's so many. I'm sure small details and intricacies that that at some point I'm going to write another book, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna go through those things a little bit. But I have to go back to those basic. Those really basic things. I had 12 really wonderful childhood years with nearly perfect parents who loved us unconditionally. We ate dinner around the dinner table every night. There were no electronics. We talked. And those things 
those basic, basic things were so key to my recovery and my being able to heal and move forward. Also, the fact that I believe people need something to believe in, a higher purpose, a higher power, to have faith in. I even have faith in in humanity. I really do. And I got that from my mom and dad, that, that there is good in almost everybody. Nobody is purely evil, uh, hardly anybody anyway. I don't know even that my, my perpetrator was. There might have been a part of him that was trying to get better at that one stage with those tapes. I don't know. You know, um, I, I, I don't want people to say, oh gosh, I'm never going to let my kids, you know, sit on anybody's lap or get a hug or I, I don't, that's not my message. My message is keep your antenna tuned, keep it up. And when you notice something, you've got to say something or you, not to the person, you got to say something to maybe your wife or your significant other and say, have you ever gotten a funny vibe? Did you notice that thing? You, you find somebody to talk to about things. And then when it, when it happens a few times, you, you do the hard work, which is to file a report. And that's going to be tough because the person is going to be somebody, you know, trust and love. And if they find out it was you that filed that report, they're not going to be happy. It's going to be really hard, but that's where we're at in our development as a society. We have got to be bigger than the perpetrators. We've got to be bigger and stronger and scarier than the people who have been the ones keeping, you know, 40% of our grown-ups in silence and shame because 40% of our people have been sexually assaulted. We got to change this thing. We got to root it out so that it doesn't continue to perpetuate itself. And if we can get help for the perpetrators and the pedophiles, as well as for the victims and the families around those victims, because everybody's affected. I mean, it's so interesting. If you were to talk to my sisters, they also suffered trauma, even though it wasn't directly like this. Their stories are interesting. My, my mother's story of trauma and how she's suffered from the guilt of what she did and the trauma that, that she then saw uh, that was placed on her daughter because of what she says, it, well, it was because of me. Well, it wasn't. It was because of him. But yeah. everybody had a trauma that they had to live with for the rest of their life. And everybody needed healing in, in this family, not just me. So I think those are the things that when I started to understand and and explore and and educate myself about about grooming manipulation and brainwashing it helped me to see how it had happened to my parents and i tried to help them forgive themselves and to see that they too had been groomed that was part of my healing you know the good counselors i had along the way that was part of my healing going to the landmark farm was part of my healing i mean there's so many things that we could talk about but i think you have to stand up for your own healing and know that there are answers and there are people and there are programs and there are counselors and there are ways that you really can choose to live in the 90%, which is the rest of your life, and and not the 10%, which was that terrible experience. You get to choose. At some point, you may need help to get to that point. You know, I'm not saying you can just do that overnight. I'm not trying to oversimplify it. This no. is a tough thing to heal from, but it, it is possible. And you have to believe that first and foremost. For sure, for sure. Anyway, you, you kind of answered it. You know, We jump around a little bit on, on topics here, but uh, you, you sort of answered it. But one of the biggest things about... Um, that you know, a lot of lis- uh, listeners and people and commenters uh, talk about is your mother, and um, uh, mainly because they just can't they just can't fathom fa- uh, fathom the decision making. But obviously, it's grooming and mind control. And 
but the the one of the things that they kind of say that you that it's kind of odd that they say this is that they kind of think that you're when your mother's on the documentary and maybe the documentary just paints this wrongly maybe the documentary isn't isn't uh showing this the right way hmm? um and they uh, paint her how say that i missed the part oh, about oh, how they, she tells well, well a lot of people a lot of well, a lot of our comments i think there's a lot of misunderstanding there. yeah there's they, a lot of, they, they believe that your your mother was kind of looking back almost gleefully is what a lot of people oh, that's are misunderstanding. Okay. Yeah, now that's... I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I've, I've totally seen those comments. Like like she was smiling about things. Or yeah, she was yeah, almost, yeah, but I don't almost think almost that okay. uh, So was... here, this is interesting. So when, I mean, there are times, if you watch the documentary again, when my mother just bursts into tears. Exactly. So, so she's, a, she, she's definitely an emotional person, and she has feelings, and she feels terrible. Yeah. But... There are also those moments in the documentary where they've asked her this direct question and they've asked her to give a very short answer. So she's been coached. My mother is not comfortable in front of a camera. And so she's trying to make the answer really short. And that's those are the times when I'm like, I can see how you were being coached, mom, to give a very short answer. And it didn't allow her comfort of being able to just answer the question and get to the emotion of the question of the answer to the question and so it's it's really interesting because when you're working with like regular people who are not comfortable in front of a camera it's a whole different thing i don't know if my dad because he was a musician and an artist and he was always on stage in a way because he was making the flowers for the the beautiful wedding and he was designing the things for the worst day of someone's life for the funeral so he was constantly in front of people and dealing with their emotions and if being in front of the camera he was just more comfortable so that's why he was so raw and emotional i'm not really sure but my mother was not comfortable my mother is very modest she's very quiet in some ways she's very um She's like, I often explained, my mother is kind of like the rock of Gibraltar, steady, strong, (laughs) silent as you go. My dad is more like an artist. He's emotional. He's up and down and up and down. And that's truly who they were. They were kind of the reverse of how most couples are. You know, the, the, the mom or the female seems to be the one that's more emotional and the dad is kind of this, you know, slow burn, steady. But that's not the case in my parents' case. It's the opposite. I think what people misconstrue and don't understand is that's one of the ways that Birchall was able to, you know, sink his teeth into her. You know, and people people don't understand that is is that she she was raised a certain way. She was this type of person and he knew just Right, she was the middle child of nine children. You know, she worked her entire life because they didn't have anything, yeah. you know, so she went to work at age 14 and would give her parents money to help pay the bills and took care of her brothers and sisters. She was just always just kind of this calm, stable, steady person. And so she just comes across differently because she has a different makeup and different personality. And then when you're being coached, can you please answer the question in like 10 words or less, you know? Yeah. You're trying to do that and you're not it's not natural. Yeah. You know? So that's part of it too. I'm really you know? glad that we were able to help clarify that. And the Thank uh, you. and you and you mentioned um 
you know, a lot, of, a lot of things were left out in the documentary. A lot of things are misconstrued and maybe even just a Good point. misrepresented. You know, uh, yeah. how did you link up with the director, and how much creative process did yeah. you have with the documentary with itself? This documentary, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, we found the director, the producer, Stephanie, uh, and I, we met each other through a mutual contact that um, had one of our self-published books at the time, and she happened to pick that book up off of the shelf and read it and said, who is this woman? Do you know her? And this mutual friend of ours said, yes, I do, and, and this story needs to be told. And, and that's how I met Stephanie. Can you put us in touch with each other? We met up at some coffee house in Burbank, California. California and struck up a great conversation and I could tell she also has sisters and she had her heart in the right place she knew that telling the story could be really helpful for other people and she wanted to um, bring that you know forward and then she knew um, the filmmaker from some other experience I can't remember exactly how we interviewed a couple of different filmmakers but decided that for sure um, Sky Borgman was really um, she had done a lot of documentary films that were really good and had a, a great eye, you know, to be the cinematographer, the director, the editor. I mean, that's kind of what a documentary director is. They kind of do everything. Yeah. So we knew that he had the, the, the chops or whatever you call it to do it. We just felt comfortable. And then as time went on, I, I, uh, you know, stepped away and was not a producer on the documentary. I was the subject of the documentary. So a lot of the creative licensing of putting the pieces together really did fall to Sky um, and and some to Stephanie. Uh, you know, she had she was in there as well, but but a lot of it to her and then to the people that she brought in to edit and do graphics and all those things. Um, so I didn't have a lot of say. I remember the first time that the first director's cut, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to kill my dad. Oh. He's so embarrassed as it is, and he's such a good man. And I don't know. I just was. I just bawled my head off. I was just so like, no, you know. But then I, I understood, like, what if somebody were to look up that court record where he admitted to that one experience, and then there, there's no other. I mean, there's nothing. Not only has my dad said, well, that's the only thing that ever happened, but there's nothing else, no evidence of anything else anyway, and, and never in his life with anybody else either. You know, it was a one-time thing, but I knew how much embarrassment and how much it would, I knew, I knew how hard it would be on him, but it's interesting because he must have decided, you know, I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth, because maybe my truth will help somebody else see through a master maniacal manipulator you know you definitely got that we definitely were able to, yeah. to grasp that through it so now uh you you said that you uh, you watched the uh the first the first version of it uh did you mm -hmm. have a final say on the on the last ver the last cut of the uh, documentary? You know, I I didn't have final say really. That wasn't like in the contract for me, so I really didn't have a final say. Although I always felt like like um, Sky and Stephanie listened to me and wanted it to be a fair. They really did want it to be fair, and and they wanted it to be, um, you know as as well done as it could be because they they wanted the story to be out there in a way that would you know 
engage people in this kind of conversation because yes. they know, yeah. like I know, exactly. that this is where it starts. You know, this is where we have to be. We have to talk about this and nobody wants to talk about it. So even though it was hard and there were still a couple of things, like it's still wrong. There's still some parts that are graphically wrong. Like my mother didn't see him 11 times. She saw him eight times and she only had sex with him three times. And I mean, there's things that are not quite right even now in the thing, but it doesn't really matter. It's yeah. mostly about the fact that, that this is how grooming and manipulation works. And this is, these are usually people that we know, love, and trust, I mean, and that you, was the message, and that came through enough to get these conversations started. So even though I didn't, you know, I couldn't have said, oh, I have final say, and therefore we're not releasing the documentary this way. I didn't have that control. There were still a couple of things I would have liked to have maybe softened and put in a few more things that would have, you know, made you really go, oh, my gosh, it's this master manipulator that's, you know, pulling the strings. I, You know, at this point, I realize that it's pretty perfect the way it is because of the fact that there's so many conversations that have started. Yes, and now I get exactly. to talk to people like you and clarify <laughs> some things. And, and you know, I might just produce a podcast of my own. Hey, you know, yeah. <laughs> talk about stuff like this. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think it, it really does show show their character for them to, you know, sit there and, and, and know the effects that this would have on their on how they were perceived. And yeah. still, still come for have the strength to come forward and do the right thing and explain, yeah. explain it in full detail. That way, to help, to help you and to help the message be spread. I really appreciate you saying that because I think most people, if they're really honest with themselves, have done something that they would just prefer the whole world didn't know. I think most people, most of us have made a mistake where we think, oh my gosh, why did I do that? I, you know, I don't really want it, you know, <laughs> televised to the whole world. So I do think that they were extremely courageous and very brave. And that raw kind of courage, I hope, will result in prevention of this happening to another family Absolutely. and to millions of kids around the world. Oh yeah. Jesus! This is this whole whole subject is definitely hard to to grasp and talk about. It. I think we're all doing a really good job, though. We're we're definitely. I think so too. Yeah. You're both very, um, you know, much to the uh, the uh, oh, title on. of your podcast being opinions and beer. You're actually <laughs> super smart. Oh, thank you. We have very very strong very kindly and very um smartly about this whole thing and i really appreciate both we're, of you it's okay. been quite fun. we're trying we're trying our best to be we're, that we're putting that a in the show notes okay <laughs> we're trying our best jim broberg says we're real smart yeah we're putting that <laughs> you're pulling the wool over my eyes it's yeah. gone great <laughs> that's a that, that's going at the front of every podcast so. <laughs> yeah. oh awesome I, i'm excited about that do it <laughs> So, uh, so obviously, uh, we, the we, smartest we, dumb guys I've ever met. Smart. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's definitely that's going. Dumb, that's going on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we, we've talked to you for quite some time now. Uh, we're nearing the yeah, end. Yeah, we're nearing long, the end. It's awesome. <laughs> but uh, uh, obviously, uh, we we have some things written down here that maybe we should touch on real quick. Uh, the Stolen Innocence book. I believe your your mother wrote it. Um, is that right. What is that about? So that's the old book that we self 
published years ago, 15 years ago, when we were doing, we were being asked to speak at conferences, and the there's a superior court judge that writes the foreword and the afterword in that book, and he heard us speak at one of the first conferences we had ever been asked to, to speak at, and we did a Q&A, and he, he came up to us. He was the keynote speaker the second day. It was a big education concert conference with school counselors and teachers and administrators, and, and um, we told our story, and then we did a Q&A, and he approached us after that and said, you know what? He said, I worked for 30 years as an attorney for children who had been sexually assaulted, and the predators were you know, all people that they knew, and and he said, your story, and then I became a Superior Court judge, and, and have worked with so many cases of, of child um, sex abuse and pedophilia, and he said, your story contains, like, every single thing that I've ever worked with in all of my stories combined. He said, if you had the fortitude to publish your story, he, he said, I'll write the forward, the afterward, and I'm telling you, you will help millions of people. And so what had been a family cathartic, cathartic experience, really, I had asked my mom just to write down what was happening at home. And then I would, you know, she'd talk to me about what was happening to me at the same time. And that's how it, you know, it was like 900 pages long, <laughs> you know, the, the first book that we just wrote for our family. It was just a family history, and it was this really cathartic experience for, for us to talk and, and to interview each other and for her to write. And all of that got reduced into Stolen Innocence, that book that we first self-published, and we used it at conferences. Now, the new book, Abducted in Plain Sight, that's being released in March, has much of the same story, but it's been re-edited. Things have been added to the book. Um, it really has had some amazing editors work on it, and um, it's still Mom's. Mom's still the author, but going through that process and getting all of these things just right, I think I think the book's going to be amazing. Uh, um, I think it's going to be a bestseller out there oh, because yeah, it's sure. really good. So it's same story but different. <laughs> I don't know. It's um, it's better. And, and is it's this, got more than that. Is this new book? Is that going to have some of the stuff that was left out in the uh, documentary? Yes. Okay. Yes, a lot of stuff that was so be, not. People definitely people. need to be paying attention and, to it. And, and are, it's the same talking, title. It's abducted and. Are you talking sight. with anyone yet about the um? Uh, you, you wanting to do a uh, a full length series of this series or a well, movie? Well, we, we've talked to a couple of people that have have expressed interest in production companies, interest in either a feature, uh, maybe a limited series. Um, you know, I'm I'm hoping that there will be more more conversation. There's nothing that's been signed or set in stone yet, but I Shoot, I really do someday we'll do a seven year series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you could, you could probably easily talk to Netflix. That would be the best Lifetime series ever. <laughs> uh, right? Wouldn't it? That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. I need I need a super a super duper writer to come forward and then you get the right writer on a project, then you can then you can really produce your TV series. <laughs> but yeah. So, we'll see what happens. There's yeah. definitely talk. So, uh, so final thoughts. I know we touched on this many times throughout the episode, just but just you know, final clarification. You know, when someone is in a toxic environment, uh, what are some signs they can look for, 
And what are ways to escape that environment? Yeah, because one of the things is, you know, you were lucky enough to have your parents there in the long term. But there's right. a lot of people, like what we were talking about earlier, the children that were abducted and whatnot, like it, they they don't have a, a way of being able to get out. So what what are some of the things that, that you've taken from your experiences that can help those those people? So, yeah, like, like I said, I think earlier to you guys, you know, I've often wondered how did the kids whose parent is the abuser, how did they heal? How did they find help? How did they get out of it? And I have thought a lot about this. And I think that as, as you know, First of all, we want to prevent it, of course. Prevention starts with education and awareness, so that's what I'm trying to do, educate and make people aware um, and make them willing to be aware and to see what they don't want to see because it's too icky when it's close to home. So that's the first message, and we'll continue to do that. I'll continue to talk and speak out and do speaking engagements and radio and podcasts and whoever asks me to talk, I'm going to talk. Um so that's the first part. The second part is after somebody's been harmed and now they're in their 20s or 30s or 40s, how do they begin to repair the damage that's been done? And I think, first of all, they have to know that there is support. There are counselors almost in any community across America who are trained specifically with early childhood trauma and, and then specifically with sexual trauma and sexual abuse. And if you can find that good therapist, and don't just settle for the first person you talk to, if it doesn't feel like after two or three sessions that it's really helping, then keep looking. Go, go to somebody else because it's really important that you find that champion in your story that, that can assist you in finding your own inner strength in the healing process because ultimately people have to choose to heal and so finding that strength to say I am not my past I am not my story that lives in the past I am not my abuse is really important and and sometimes that really takes a number of different experiences counselors programs books that you read self-help to get to the point where you actually know, and like I talked about the landmark forum, that was one of those experiences among others, mm -hmm. that I could choose to have a different life, to completely be able to design and, and have the life that I wanted. And at that point, I was willing to write it down. Like, I want this in my life and this in my life and has it all been perfect did it all happen perfectly no i've been married a couple of times i've been divorced a couple of times am i still good friends with my ex-husbands yes i am do i still have wonderful stepdaughters that i adore i do do i have a son who has been with me through thick and thin that i would you know take a bullet for and who would take a bullet for me yes i have a son like that that is just one of the biggest parts of my healing of anybody, you know, my son, Austin, and you find things that you care about that you can, that you can get behind. And for me, it was being a mother that helped me in my healing process because I got to care for someone else. I got to somebody else in my life that, that would help me get out of bed in those mo moments and mornings when I thought I couldn't, it was, 
it's all of those things that you can do whether you decide to join up with a, with a service organization where you are maybe on a hotline with with other people that are going through you know um, wanting to commit suicide or they're they're needing somebody to talk to about their abuse maybe it's it's going feeding you know meals to the homeless because then all of a sudden your problems you realize are in perspective you know that that you're not the only person who's suffered and that you get to make choices that make the world a better place and it makes your world a better place you can do it so that's what i think is the message there is support find it utilize it and then make choices to put yourself in places that make you that make you feel good about yourself and about the world so go to those places you know whatever that is for you and maybe that means you have to golf every day or go hiking every day some people that's where they find that solace that they need to be able to heal or reflect and repair their own you know experiences but you have to figure it out for yourself with the help of others don't be afraid of counseling there's no shame in it don't be afraid of of anything to that might actually help you wow and that was a beautiful yeah that's that's powerful yeah what's kind of scary is you know that you know some of these places you know that we're you know, the the longer we go, you know, these places of of safety are starting to dwindle. It seems uh-huh. so. It's uh, it's always hard for people to find that safety net, but I, you know, it's always encouraged. Right. You know, for people to keep searching. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I, I have to tell share this with you real quick. I had a, sure. an interview by a senior in high school at Flint Ridge Sacred Heart Academy, the girls Catholic girls school where he put me, the second kidnapping, and of course I'm the talk of the school, right? Yeah. And um, and she, you know, one of the questions was, what do we do now with our churches and our and our faith? What do we do? You know, just so disturbed by her own, you know, crisis of faith or whatever. And, and I, I really have thought a lot about it that even though there are some scary people within different religions or different organizations, the majority of people there are not. The majority of people there are really trying to just be good people and be better people. And so wherever you can find a group of people that, that are, are trying to be better humans I don't think association with them is a bad idea I think what you still have to be willing to see is that there are bad people that that hide in plain sight in those organizations and those are the ones we have to root out but not necessarily scrap the entire thing you know what I mean don't yeah, throw the just, baby just out with the bath few, water yeah yeah. Because he, like he and other individuals, they'll prey on that. They know how caring people are in those types of uh, religions and whatnot, and so that's what they use. They use that to be able to, uh, I guess, get into what they they're trying to do. Yep. Yeah. So just be vigilant in in noticing things and don't put up with anybody making up your mind. Don't give your thinking over to for anybody. Sure. No sure. religious leader. No nobody gets to tell you how to think. Exactly. And and that's important. So that if you are going to be religious or be in a certain religion, you still have to be vigilant in asking questions and questioning things and teaching your children to find facts and to get curious and and not to just allow 
somebody else to do your thinking for you. That is the first step in becoming brainwashed. So don't let that happen. Be be a person of faith. If that gives you solace and hope and feel that that's real, do that. But don't give over your thinking to anybody. Yep. So, do you have anything? There's one thing I wanted to cover real quick. Okay. Um, you you cover covered the old book. You covered the documentary. Covered your new your new book. Uh, we touched a little bit on your acting career. Um, is that something that you're going to still be pursuing in the future? Uh, are there any things? Are you are you going in? <laughs> are you sticking with the horror genre and? <laughs> You know, what's so funny is that, you know, you kind of just stick with whatever comes your way <laughs> when you're a working actor and you kind of are like, well, gosh, this is interesting. I've had like four or five horror movies now in a row. You just kind of go, well, if that's paying the bills, that's what we'll, well do, right? Exactly. <laughs> but it is interesting that you asked that question. I'm glad you did because honestly, theater saved my life. That was another very important piece of my healing is during those four plus years when I couldn't tell anybody because I thought I'd be vaporized or my dad would be killed or whatever, whatever, whatever. I, um, and I, I, there was no way I was going to tell and let my little sister be taken or my other sister go blind. I mean, that's what kids do. They protect their family. That's why kids that are great communicators and have great parents who talk to them and parents think, Oh, well, my kids would tell me. I'm like, not if they were given the right threat. They will not tell you. Yeah. They will shut down. As great as I had, you know, communication with my parents, it completely was done the minute that I thought that they would be harmed. Yeah. So, so I, what I want to say is I had the theater. Because I had been doing plays since I was six, what, what I kept doing in between the times when I was missing, I would get on stage, I'd do another play, and I could cry, and I could scream, and I could be another person, and that literally saved my life. It was like therapy without anybody knowing it was my therapy. So I really am a huge proponent of music therapy and, and theater. Uh, you know, the arts in general are just therapeutic, whether it's for the people on stage or the production people behind the scenes or the audience. It's just such an important part of having a healthy community and having healthy people. Um, whether you're a big participant and like to go to concerts or plays or whatever, or you're not, having healthy arts in your community lifts the entire community, whether you participate or not. It just is a really important thing. So that is a really good question. And will I always continue to pursue acting? Yes. It's my passion. I've loved it since I was six years old and played Gretel in The Sound of Music in my university community summer play. It was the best thing ever and I have been performing ever since. And I will <laughs> always want to act and hope that the opportunities continue to come and that I'll be able to take them because I do love I do have a passion for that. Now, uh, usually, usually our last question is, uh, "What is your favorite Nickelback song?" But I think we're gonna, but we're gonna ask, but we're gonna, we're gonna ask, we're gonna ask, what what's been your funnest, uh, your funnest set to be on? Because I know you've been on Iron Man three and Manic and all the. Uh, what's been Maybe the yeah. funnest? 
You know, I have to say, the most fun really was doing Maniac with Elijah Wood, because I got to have a whole team of people that were just mine, like the people that pump the blood out of your scalp when you get <laughs> when he starts to cut yeah, you. They're laying on the floor by that bed, and they have this little thing that they pump, and then you have a you have your own like nurse or your own doctor on set. So like when when he's trying to drown you in a tub, if something were to go wrong, and you know you didn't get up in time you got a medic right there just for you you have somebody that's holding your robe you know you're only partially dressed and so when you get out of that tub there's somebody there to throw the robe over you there it's so much fun to have all these people around me to make these scenes so real they're so gory and gross <laughs> but but it was fun it was really fun and to have somebody like elijah wood who one minute you're in the you're in the makeup trailer talking about oh there's just no Nobody to date in this town. How do you date somebody? You know, we're talking about that. He and I. And then the next minute, the first scene we did was the scene where he's laying on top of me. He's got me hogtied on the bed. He's got a knife next to my neck, and he's like, "Well, nothing like you to know, yeah." I'm like, "Yep, me too. Good luck." And here we go. You know, into screen. Well, well, you met one person in this town. I trying to beg, begging him not to kill me. Oh goodness. <laughs> it was fun. Did that hit the mark? That was oh. awesome. That oh, was yeah. fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay. Yeah. Did you have anything yeah. left well, to add, Eamon? Yep. Uh, I, I had one question that's been, been bugging me uh, ever since I watched the documentary. Um, it's, okay. it's, it's not as uh, light of a topic. But it does have to do with like what you were saying with the theater and how that helped you. Um, when you were around the age of like sixteen, and and when you were when you were going through that process, uh, you you made a statement about how it affected you and um, how you thought that you might need to like even go as far as to end your sister's life. Um, mm -hmm. How how was your feelings through all that process? So that's, yeah, I, I was so in a state of constant battle with my emotions because I was like, oh my gosh, I was at a theater camp and I knew there was a boy that liked me and kept following me around and I kept, you know, trying to ignore him and run away from him and then he buys me this ice cream because he was standing in front of me in the line uh, where we had all gone to get ice cream and I just knew something horrible was going to happen and um my whole thought process during that, that time where I knew I was going to turn 16 while at that theater camp, I thought, okay, well, they're going to take, they're going to take my little sister because I'm 16. I'm not pregnant. I'm still years from puberty, but of course I was half alien. So the rules didn't apply to me. Yeah. I thought somehow I could get pregnant, you know, and, um, and I wasn't. And I, I just was so like, I can't stand the thought of my little sister having to go through what I've been through in these four years. And I just was like, okay, well, I'm going to get a gun. I know where my, I know where there's a gun that I can get a hold of. And I'm going to tell Susan about the mission of having the baby to save the dying planet. And if she doesn't want to do it, I'm going to kill her and then I'm going to kill myself because I just couldn't bear the weight of the world anymore because I literally was carrying the weight of an entire planet on my shoulders. And I had been for four years 
And people don't ask me that question very often, but when you are carrying around the, 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 the lives of an entire civilization and you believe it, like what you do will either, you know, give them, you know, will extend their lives. Basically, it's just a huge weight because I believed it completely. Yeah. So it really, I look back on that and I'm so glad that that boy bought that ice cream cone. I don't even know who it, his name. I wish right. I knew who he was. I hope he's listened to this podcast oh, and can sure. tell me for who sure. was the boy that bought your ice cream. He's definitely you know, at that beer drinker. Camp. Yeah, he's yeah. definitely a beer drinker. <laughs> right? Maybe. Who knows? He's kind of guy to buy some ice cream. So this, is, this has easily been our longest episode and rightfully so. I'm, I am so... I'm so happy that we were able to speak with you. It's a it's such a tough subject for people to talk about, and I'm I'm so grateful to have you on to discuss this with our audience and our future audience that you know whoever may show up. And um, I I just want to thank you so much for being on. Is there anything we missed, left out that you would like to add? Any last thoughts that you may want to discuss before we conclude here? Gosh, I really, I can't think of anything um, specifically, but um, I really hope that at some point um, a billion people around the world will basically take a pledge that, that they will be the one that will come forward to bring the victims and the perpetrators excuse me, out of the shadows, out of the corners, because almost everybody has a dirty corner in their life where something has happened, and I want everybody to take the pledge that I will make people aware, I will be the one to support those that are trying to, you know, do this really hard thing, and so basically, that's kind of the last thing, is that eventually when we get a hashtag and we have an official name for this movement, we'll, we'll have a pledge <laughs> that a basically hashtag. is like, no more silence, no more shadows, no more dark corners for those that have been abused by somebody they know, love, or trust, and that there can be no more protecting the perpetrator because they're in my house or they're in my family, in my neighborhood, community, or congregation. We can't protect them. We can't move them around. We can't just ignore them and hope that they don't hurt somebody else as kids we have to bring them into the light of justice and that hope for healing prevention and awareness starts with me and that's what i want people to pledge that hope for healing prevention and awareness starts with me that everybody takes this on as a global healing and it's got to happen by individuals all across the world so thank you for letting me be on the podcast and to say those things. And I really appreciate your help. Um, and hopefully yeah. we'll talk again soon. Maybe yeah, when the absolutely. book comes out, there'll be more questions and we can get oh, back yeah, on for here. Sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, Jan, okay. I, I'm so, I'm, I'm personally proud that we were able to, to have you on here. Uh, and, and the fact that that might make a difference in just a single person's life. Like it, it really has, like your story has has moved me so much that I'm I'm very thankful to be able to have had you on today. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you. So appreciate that. You're both awesome. <laughs> Keep up those opinions and beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, the the episode will be available on March third. Uh, obviously, we hey. uh, we promote like hell, so you'll probably get a million tags. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Good. Social Thank media. you. So. <laughs> yeah. Is there, is there any uh, social medias that you want to plug as well? 
the way it's a little bit easier uh, for people yeah, to Yeah, actually, what I'd really like is for people to join my, um, my kind of, I guess they call it a fan page on Facebook, because I do have some videos and some things that I'm going to start posting that'll give people some direction, like, you know, what do you do if you notice something, or how can I get the support Perfect. I need, or, Perfect. you know, we'll talk about different subjects just real briefly, and I'm going to post those things there, so I'd really love people to go to the Jam Broberg fan page and, and, and start you know, getting people over to that page would be really great because that's where I'm going to provide, you know, content and some YouTube uh, videos and other things that I'm that I'm preparing okay. so that I yeah. can really help people, I hope. We'll be sure yeah. to uh, help, help get a link in there for you. Okay, that'd be great. And then, you know, I also, you know, you can tweet about this or whatever. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter. That'd be awesome, too. And let's... Uh, Let's really just make this go like, you know, exactly. crazy epidemic yeah. in the other direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're sadly, we're, we're still learning Twitter. All of our, all of our fans, uh, they don't even, they don't have Twitter, it turns out. <laughs> no, yeah, just, and, just I, and I literally, I seriously, I can't even remember how to get into my Twitter. I just know <laughs> that so when tough. I called it the so Twitter tough. the other day, my son about <laughs> laughed his <laughs> AU, you know, whatever off. <laughs> Uh, that's, the Twitter. That's, that's, that's I don't know if we can swear that's on this podcast, meme, so. but he's like, oh, mom, it's not called the Twitter. You sound so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a Facebook page, but my but my friend page is full. And so now we've got another page that we'd really like people to go to and, and, and get on because we're going to we're going to start posting content there. So thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Once again, thank you so much for being on. Uh, Hope you have a good night, Miss Jan. Yeah, Thank you so much. Hopefully, we'll speak again, Jan. Have a good one. Okay, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah. Three, two. Hello, and welcome to Opinions and Beer. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eamon. We just got done interviewing Jan Broberg. <laughs> Today's beer of the day is. Larry's latest Flamingo Fruit Flight. It is brewed by Bell's Brewing Company in Comstock, Michigan. It is, brew- it is a tart fruit ale brewed with passion fruit and lime. It is 5% in alcohol by volume. Uh, you know what that means? If it's a tart fruit, that means it may, it may be considered actually a sour. Sour? So okay. it, might, it might be a sour beer. They, this, this may, it may not say it on the bottle. And this is 5, not 15, right? Five. Okay, it's gonna get you f- up. No, <laughs> just kidding. It's not. <laughs> it's a really popular beer right now. Um, uh, also, I probably shouldn't even. Say sours. That. Sours have word. been. Yes. Yeah, sa- yeah. Probably not. Sours have been um, <laughs> pretty popular right now, and uh, you know, sours are obviously a beer that they they mix in uh, wild yeast. They let wild yeast take place. I don't know why. I don't know how it got popular. I wonder if they're forcing the sourness now. It's a popular Maybe. flavor. I feel, I feel like a lot of it, it. It may just be to spice up um, everything because I feel like here recently, like a lot of the main beers are very similar. Yeah, they're always you know kind of the same thing. So, so we're gonna try um, this beer. Yeah, yeah. It smells I'll, like you know what it smells like it smells like lime. It smells well, like kind of. I like the, also got like uh, another one that. Uh, it's kind of like that. It's like a raspberry one that we oh, need to yeah. try as well. It's going to be pretty cool. Look forward to it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> flamingo fruit fight. And go. Okay, let's... Oh, it's passion fruit and lime. I'm not tasting the... Pa- What's passion fruit supposed to taste like? Um, 
I'm just getting the tart. A straight tart. Maybe the passion fruit is a lot of tart. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, when you said this might be sour, um, do you feel like that may have been an understatement now? (laughs) Because this is fucking super sour. Yeah. Like, this is like... What a... You this know what is this the, tastes uh, like? This tastes like a fucking like lemon warheads. Yes, dude. Like it's like a warhead in a in a beer. That might actually okay. I want to clarify here that I'm in no way trying to to sell any more of these. Like <laughs> by saying that it's a warhead, I'm just giving you an idea up front. Doesn't mean to, it's a warhead. To be fair, in a good this way. may be the best sour we've had so far. The only other sour was the cut beer. Compared to cut beer. Oh, oh, okay. So the cup, the cup noodle one. That that's actually a sour. It's labeled a sour. I didn't know it until after the show. Until after we tried it. Okay, yeah. that makes a lot more sense because so I was like, "What is this rancid noodle mix?" So uh, <laughs> yeah, um, this one is, uh, yeah, it's definitely better than the cup noodle one. Um, you know, I've been avoiding sours, but because this one's the uh, top ten popular in the world right now, I figured we needed to try it. So yeah, yeah. Hey. Uh, Whatever, uh, whatever people like, you know. Um, I don't, I don't think that like this is going to change my opinion though. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna like be like, oh, instead of stouts or whatever, I like, you know, like, think I'm gonna go and get a uh, sour from now on. Yeah. No, I don't think that that's taking place at all. I think that like, I don't know. Maybe we need to just go ahead and review this one, like. I'm going to give this a sweet tart out of a packet of nerds uh, uh, with a lemon drop. And I'll, uh, I guess I'll give it a two flamingos fighting over a, a crushed warhead. <laughs> is that what it is? It's a lime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a warhead. You, you'll have to go look up the, the, like, the art for this beer and you'll, you'll see. Is it even, do we even say it's a beer? Is it's Just a say it's ale. Okay, it's a beer. I prefer ale. I prefer uh, what well, you you're know. listening to. Ales have a lot of uh, uh, lives. They have a lot of names. They do different styles of ales. Anyways, um, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna lie, dude. It's uh, it's not sitting well on the stomach. So, oh uh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Keep that in mind, listeners. <laughs> well, that's our show, and open hands and feet.